0: Oh
1: Hey everybody. welcome to another episode of Phone Booth Fighting. You know me I'm Richard you know him. that's Frank. Uh, he is the two-time UFC heavyweight champion of the world. I'm a guy who talks for a living and uh, occasionally does some stand-up comedy. And uh, together, we make up this podcast. Coming to you twice weekly. New episodes post on Tuesdays and Fridays. And a guest announcement about Friday's episode. It will signal the return to phone booth fighting of the American gangster Chell Sonnen, who Frank is now... A Bellator fighter. He signed, signed with Bellator. It. Yeah. So, oh, uh, of things
2: changing lately.
1: I know. Chill has, uh, ridden, ridden out his, his suspension. That's over. He's returned to action and, uh, he's headed to Bellator. So, on Friday's episode, Chael Sonnen, who we always love having on this show, I think there are probably two favorite guests of ours so far. Uh, in the the life of phone booth fighting that listeners seem to respond to the most, and that 's Chell Sonnen and Demetrius Johnson. They love it when either one of those guys is on so uh, we 'll get chell on friday 's episode to tell us about his uh, his uh, when his debut in Bellator is going to be now that he 's coming back to action, the latest with his uh, twice weekly podcast you 're welcome with Chell Sonnen, and also his thoughts on the state of the presidential race because uh you know. Uh, Jill, like me, he's a real uh, political animal, and the first presidential debate is going to be uh, Monday night, so I'm sure he's going to have some thoughts on that. Uh, also, if uh, you are in the Las Vegas area and you would like to come out and see me do some stand up comedy, I will be back at the LA Comedy Club inside the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip this Sunday night, 8 p.m. And if you'd like to be on my guest list, just message me on social media. I will be happy to put you on there as a phone booth fighting listener and uh, friend of the show. And, and a lot of our listeners have already taken me up on that offer. It's always better when I can do a set with some some friendly sets of ears in the house. So uh, that's Sunday night if you're going to be in the Las Vegas area. And also another show announcement before we get into the uh, the body, if you will, of uh, tonight's episode is that uh, the Fund Anything campaign posters are being picked up tomorrow. That is the from the printer. That is the final piece of the puzzle, Frank. And then Wednesday night, you and I are going to have a signing party here at Stately Mirror Manor. We'll get all the posters spread out. We'll, we'll sign them the way they're supposed to be signed for those of you who have ordered posters. And then those and the T-shirts get shipped out. And uh, for the folks that have... Uh, Ordered some of the specialty items like uh, sitting in on the podcast, like uh, Matt Slayer did week before last. Actually, came out to L.A. at EBI and sat in with us. Uh, There'll be a couple of more of you doing that. Uh, We will be in touch to coordinate that. Whether you're going to do it in person, some people live out of country, so they're going to be doing it remotely with us via Skype. Uh, I know we've got at least one voicemail message to record. Somebody wanted us on a voicemail message, so we've okay. got to do that. Uh, we got the guy that's coming in to uh, go the shooting range with you. I think that's happening in early December, so okay. uh, we'll be paying off on those things. But just know, uh, Frank and I were actually talking about this before we went on the air. Uh, you may have heard us lament over the past— Six weeks or so, at least, maybe longer. The the mysterious disappearance of the Fund Anything website, not just ours, not just our page uh, for crowdsourcing, but the entire company just seems to have gone MIA. Now, the good news for us is uh, our campaign had already run a real strong forty five days or so, uh, and thanks to each and every one of you guys who who contributed from the 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 ten dollar phone booth fighting poster level all the way up to uh we've had a guy now who is uh signed up and uh, uh send his contribution in for you to uh go to a ufc fight with him frank so um that's going to be a really unique one-of-a-kind experience for him but uh what happened was about six eight weeks ago the whole site the campaign was supposed to run for 90 days our campaign to uh help uh raise money to defer the costs of uh the podcast in lieu of uh sponsors till we really get that up and going and the whole thing just came down overnight no warning nothing and uh, actually it was it was one of our phone booth fighting listeners frank sent me a a link to a story uh there somebody had done a little bit of research on it and is surmising that they may be in the midst of i don't know some sort of lawsuit or something like that and so the whole site was pulled down. It did not affect us financially, really. So uh, if you're worried about that and where your money went, we it, it got to us. We were able to use that money to uh, put into the production costs of the T-shirts and the posters, and that's a lot of money up front. So now we're able to start sending those out to, to you guys. But just in case you wondered, you might have been thinking, hey, uh, Richard and Frank told me that thing was going to be going for 90 days, and now I want to order a T-shirt and I can't find one. Well, that's what happened. Uh, the the concept. Consolation is, if you go to phoneboothfightingshop.com, that is where our t-shirts are now. The existing uh, design, which has our uh, logo on it, and then uh, this new design will be going up there as well. So if you missed out on the Fund Anything campaign, you can get one of the limited edition shirts uh, before those are all gone at phoneboothfightingshop.com. Frank, uh, you also looked like you had a look of concern on your face when we started the podcast because is there trouble in your, uh, in your clan? Was there, uh, was there a clash in your clan that didn't turn out as well as you had hoped? What, what happened over there? Fill me in. Well, no, we're uh,
0: in battle and war.
1: Oh, hold the, hold the microphone up there. So here. Okay, <laughs> and, uh, you're in the midst of a battle. Yeah. Right our, now?
2: We, one of our guys uh, was supposed to hit a certain uh, town hall, and we thought he was going to do better, and he didn't. So, so you had a guy— who is supposed to attack a, a town hall. Clans, yeah. Yeah, in Clash Clans. What you do is you can declare wars. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like we have 10 of our town halls versus 10 of theirs. And, uh-huh. And uh, you have two strikes each, and you accumulate points towards your team goal. And okay. And we uh, were doing really well, and uh, one, uh, one of our guys missed his attack. He yeah. missed it like he didn't show up for it? No, as in he just didn't have a very solid strategy. going His out.
1: mind was just somewhere else. Yeah. wasn't very focused on the attack. Not very focused. Interesting. You know what? Uh, that that uh,
2: all the other guys pulled through and three starred their guys. So like, you know what that recalls to mind, Frank?
1: Uh, do you know the story about the Abraham Lincoln assassination that was originally supposed to be a whole conspiracy? was supposed to be a whole series of assassinations. Do you know about this? No, I don't. There's actually a movie made about it uh, Robert Redford directed a couple of years back called The Conspirators. And the plan was, of course, we all know John Wilkes Booth assassinated Abraham Lincoln at Ford Theater. Of course, he was a Confederate sympathizer. And his idea was that he and his co-conspirators would basically throw the Union government into chaos by assassinating not only the president, but also the vice president, Andrew Johnson, and also the Secretary of State, which was called the Secretary of War back then, a guy named William Seward. And so what happened was, of course, uh, Lincoln was killed, but at the same time, these other guys were supposed to go around and assassinate Seward and Johnson. The guy that attacked Seward... Seward had been, just as uh, uh, chance would have it, had been in a carriage accident, right? So, of course, back before automobiles, they're riding around in horse-drawn carriages. He had been in some sort of carriage accident, and he was laid up in bed, and he had a metal contraption on his face that was, I I guess, sort of like meant to set a broken jaw or something like that. The guy who attacked him in the house where he was staying— tried to stab him to death, but a number of what he thought were going to be fatal wounds hit that metal contraption. No kidding. So he couldn't like cut his throat or anything like that. So Seward actually survived, and the guy who was supposed to assassinate the vice president, Andrew Johnson, he just chickened out. He just didn't show up, kind of like your buddy there uh, with your with your clan clash.
2: Uh, my other my buddy was actually more like the first one. <laughs> oh, okay. He just
1: he showed up. He just didn't have very good aim. Right. Uh, yeah, he didn't. <laughs> he show He made up.
2: an attempt. It just wasn't a very solid one.
1: But but listen, this this will give you an idea of how differently you know presidential security is now compared to to back then. No, there was no Secret
2: Service. There, was
1: there. wasn't, and uh, in fact, Andrew Johnson. Was the vice president was just staying in some hotel? So, all that was going to happen was the guy who was supposed to assassinate him was just going to walk up to the room and knock on the door, and he'd open the door, and the guy was going to kill him. Could you imagine just being able to walk up and knock on Joe Biden's hotel room door right now, and there he's standing there in his bathrobe? Who do are that you? To a senator or a congressman? No, you can't get within uh, 500 feet of him. So, uh,
2: yeah, that's how, that's how it was back then.
1: Huh. And uh, in,
2: in fact, that wasn't the only time that Abraham had had an assassination attempt, right? Uh, I don't know. I thought I read one time he was out riding and someone shot okay. at Oh, Okay, yeah. Shot at him and, you know. Well, that's happened, you know, that's happened a
1: number of times more than the assassinations themselves. We've had four presidents who've actually been assassinated, which – Given the fact that we're on our forty-fourth president right now, if you think about that, I mean that's that's a risky occupation. Yeah. I mean the, the the percentages are what a little less than ten percent, I guess one in one in ten, right? Yeah. I mean plus the four, but uh, uh, those those are not good. Uh, and and it the, it's been attempted many more times than it's actually been successful. What I've always got, I think
2: Roosevelt got attempted assassination right.
1: Uh, Yeah, Teddy. Yeah, I think what Reagan, there's been a number. I I read up on this one time. I mean, there had been a number of people that got killed. That's right. Uh, Can you name the fourth?
2: That has been assassinated?
1: Yeah, I'm impressed you got McKinley because most people can only name two. Most people can only name uh, Lincoln and they can only name um, uh, Kennedy.
0: Kennedy.
2: And then yeah, McKinley. William McKinley. Was it Garfield?
1: Garfield. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. I am impressed. <laughs> I have picked the right guy to host a podcast with.
2: I know one of them was a McKinley that actually got killed with a certain gun. It's actually probably. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. It was a lemon gun, I believe. Or maybe it was Garfield. See, now, you know, I don't yeah. remember exactly. You know, so
1: the so they and it, you know, they didn't even learn their lesson with, uh, with Abraham Lincoln's assassination in terms of, of really heightened security and that sort of thing. Because... Uh, McKinley.
2: Then didn't one of them, like, now going on, it, was it Garfield that had the shortest presidency of all time?
1: No, that was William Henry Harrison because he's the guy who refused to wear a coat given his inaugural speech, and he was only president for a month, and he got pneumonia and died. Okay. Yeah. I knew someone was real low and
2: died. I just, yeah. in my brain, I figured it was somebody who was assassinated.
1: Yeah, but this, see, presidential history fascinates I I me.
2: I'm so impressed you knew those four <laughs> because I've
1: actually never uh, encountered anybody who knew those four. There wasn't, know. like, some sort of presidential historian or
2: something. No, I'm just a nerd who plays on the Internet a lot. Well, no,
1: because <laughs> when I think about it, I always think about how would you like to be one of those other two guys? I mean, first of all, there's only been 44 presidents in U.S. history, right? Right.
0: There's,
1: uh, uh, there's only been four of them who've been assassinated. But if you're two
2: of the four, nobody remembers you. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, if you think now how famous a president is. Yeah, and, you know, most people, I mean, I couldn't go through all 44 of them. Yeah. If you sat here and say, hey, rattle them off, I'm like, I might get 10, 15 presidents I can pull off my memory I can think of. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's a lot that I don't remember.
1: But you'd think if you got the ultimate sacrifice, if, yeah, you, if you got, got killed in office, you people would that- remember you. Yeah. Well, it, what I was going to say is it was interesting because even after Lincoln, um, McKinley was assassinated, like, at a World's Fair, like, just somebody kind of walked up and shot him who was he was given a speech but basically got you know close enough to the podium or whatever shot him and then garfield i believe was the one who was assassinated while he was waiting for a train can you imagine that the president you imagine barack obama just standing down there waiting to get on public transit as the president of the united states that's crazy and you just walk up to him on a at a, at a bus stop basically is what what that was about and i think both times they were sort of you know disgruntled anti-government t- i think one of them was an anarchist and the other one was someone who in his mind thought that he had been slighted for a cabinet position thought he was supposed to be in the cabinet and turns out he wasn't invited so it
2: didn't really improve the situation it really that.
1: did not he uh <laughs> he had to get his uh Get his revenge. That I've kind of- never
2: understood that way of getting revenge mm-hmm. when somebody is slighted by somebody. Mm-hmm. Even as example of you know, like they hold those acid attacks in India. Yeah, uh, where the men, if they feel like their advancements have been you know spurned by a woman. They throw acid on their face. I'm mm-hmm. like, so what did that accomplish?
1: Yeah, yeah. Other than uh, other than get you a life sentence,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, do you think girls around town? Let's say you don't, you know, let's say the bar and there's no jail time or no punishment that comes from it. Yeah. Do you think all of a sudden that you're now a uh, much more suitable prospect to the other ladies? You're like, wow, you know, he's very passionate. He was yeah. very upset when she turned him no. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. You, that that doesn't uh, exactly do wonders for your online dating profile no
2: I, I so i don't know you know i'm all about you know i understand revenge but to me i'm also about uh, effectiveness you know like okay what am i going to do is what is going to result me
1: that's right i want something that and i also want something that has uh positive residual effects too yeah. you know i want her to see how well i'm doing you know yeah, that's,
2: that's the best revenge right? gosh
1: that guy probably didn't think about me anymore I mean, he's uh, he's got so much going on for himself not yeah. being in prison and whatnot um, well, that's a, uh, that's good stuff. I wouldn't, we, I'm anticipating getting into that, uh, conversation, but, uh, I am always fascinated by the fact that two of those four guys that got assassinated as president, uh, nobody else remembers. You
2: think that one of them has an easy name, you know, Garfield, the cat, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking of that, um, and we've got, uh, we've got fights to, uh, to talk about. We've got a couple of quick finishes from this past weekend. Uh, Unfortunately, our uh, guest on our last episode, Dustin Poirier, came out on the losing end of that. Uh, we've got some fights this weekend to talk about. Chris Cyborg is, uh, back in action and Al Iaquinta, raging Al, all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden finds himself in the midst of a kind of an odd contractual holdout. So we gotta, we gotta talk about all that. Plus we gotta get into vacation talk because, um, I had a surprise trip thrown on me for my birthday this weekend, which was one to remember. Frank was out of town doing some seminars. So we got to, uh, Got to share some stories from the road, but since we were talking about uh, uh, history of U.S. presidents, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on uh, this past week. Uh, presidential Republican nominee Donald Trump giving up the ghost on Barack Obama was born in Kenya. Now, if you if you don't remember this whole saga,
2: yeah, this goes back like what six years now? Or?
1: Further, it really? goes 2011. Was when Barack Obama released his birth certificate. So prior to that, Trump was doing all the investigation. If you remember that, he was he had sent investigators to Hawaii, uh, Barack Obama's birth state, to you know sift through records and interview people and try to find out why a copy of the birth certificate had yeah, not been I released. To be honest
2: with you, it was such a ludicrous claim. Yeah. That in my mind, I'm like, I don't think that someone would have gotten, you know, one thing is if a guy can get past maybe the uh, immigration, but we're talking that he's held office, not only in Chicago, but now (laughs) presidentially, he's the president of the United States. I'm pretty sure that, you know, those things have been, uh, you know covered i can't think that someone got that far and someone dropped the ball well so i kind of didn't really honestly i didn't pay that much attention to it
1: that's because you're a smart person (laughs) so what was was the basis of that actually even well the the basis was and and understand that unlike uh the precedent of presidential candidates releasing their tax returns which every presidential nominee of both major parties has done since Richard Nixon up until now when Donald Trump refuses to release his, uh, it was not uh, precedent or protocol for a presidential candidate to offer up their birth certificate upon entering the race.
2: On a curious note, mm-hmm. when the president releases his tax uh, return, just as private, not as corporate?
1: Uh, cool. Well, no, it would be both. Like, for example, Mitt Romney. Uh, because
2: right they have a, like I have a corporation yeah. and
1: I'm private. No,
2: you would show you would show both. I mean the idea is I mean, this. Technically how do they find I mean the corporation has its own social security number I and mean, it's, its own entity.
1: Employee ID number and all that. Well the idea is that what what the idea of doing it is we want to make sure that you are not compromised by any business interests. No, I
2: I see that but. Yeah. If you have a corporation mm-hmm. and you or technically getting paid through that corporation, mm-hmm. as long as you don't pull any money from it out for that year or just use the business card, how how would they?
1: Well, they wouldn't necessarily know, but I think... Seems like
2: a loophole that a lot of the... Uh,
1: sure, <laughs> but, <laughs> I, well, but here's the thing. The people who are looking at it are going to be able to tell within reason if you're trying to pull some shenanigans. Okay. So if Mitt Romney had... Released some kind of tax return, but you really hadn't seen what was going on between him and Bain Capital. Everybody would have cried foul, and he doesn't want that. I mean, he wants to show you he's on the up and up, so okay. so he releases the stuff. And I think that's at the root of why we're not seeing uh, Trump's tax returns, because I think you're going to see a lot of foreign money. Last tied time up I in heard, that. it's
2: because he says he's being audited.
1: Well, he is, and uh, it's. But there is nothing that prevents someone who is under audit. From releasing their tax returns. In fact, Warren Buffett, who has way more money than Donald Trump's ever going to think about having, said, hey, I'm under audit all the time. It's a routine thing. And he said, if Donald Trump will release his tax returns, I'll release mine right now and I'm not even running for president. So it's kind of a, a a measure of convenience to be able to say, well, my lawyer doesn't want me uh, making tax returns public. And you know what? If you weren't running for president, I'd get that. If you were anybody else, but the problem is, when you're running for president, we need to make sure, and especially in a global economy, that as the leader of the free world, you're not going to have conflicts of interest with foreign governments. And let me tell you something about uh, about Trump. Is that I think what's in those tax returns is ties to Russian money? Yeah. because this That's is what a guy, I was assuming. Too, this is a guy sitting here. Yeah, no, this is a guy who, believe it or not, has a hard time getting a loan. And the reason he has a hard time getting a loan is because of the number of contractors that he stiffed in the past. You know his his approach to uh, to business be sort of like us. You know, we're uh, we're we're dealing with uh, getting T-shirts printed right now. And if we placed an order for t-shirts and we agreed to a price per unit, and then when those t-shirts are already printed, we went to our t-shirt guy and said, you know what, we're going to pay that. We'll pay you 20% of that amount, or you can just eat the shirts that won't be any good to you, you see? And so th- that way— Right, and
2: he's sitting there going, who am I going to sell these shirts to? Totally. Yeah, I, exactly. I've pr- pr- produced a product that is, you well, know— tailored to the individual that, you know, that, yeah. that, that, uh,
1: or, or even worse, imagine you're a contractor. It's not even printing a t-shirt. It's doing a plumbing job or a tile job. What are you going to do? Repossess the toilet. Even you if know, you it's already everything out of, yeah, I mean, you're that, out of labor yeah, exactly. and product. Yeah, exactly. So because of that, he's not a that's good, a pretty risk. Uh,
2: sneaky, uh, tactic. It seems like that sure. should be against the law.
1: Well, uh, yeah, it seems like it should be. And that's, I think that's why he's had so many, uh, you know, hundreds or thousands of lawsuits like, filed against him over time.
2: I don't see how that's even an option.
1: Well, and like I said, that's, I think that's why he's, he's so heavily litigated. But in this particular instance, this is creating a very unusual circumstance because you need to look into those tax returns and make sure that uh, the, the foreign governments that are tied up in it aren't some of the ones that as president, he's going to have a lot of power to uh, you know, to, to, to help or to hurt one way or another. Now, he will say that uh, that his business is going to go into a blind trust. And that's happened before. I mean, that had to happen with uh, like Dick Cheney, for example, and whatever he had invested in Halliburton and all that. But he knew that he was invested in it is the problem. And right. Trump's kids are going to run the business. So and the kids are his closest advisor. This this situation is unlike any other that that any presidential candidate has ever been involved in, and and re- honestly, partisan aspects of it uh, aside. I think it's something from, uh, from you know, you, you hear this word fascism thrown around all the time, but that really is the definition of fascism, when when the the corporate you know the business world and the the uh, and the government, the federal you know the federal government are just becoming uh, 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 yeah irreparably intertwined. And that's the kind of thing that uh, that we have to guard against as best we can, even though you know to a large. So, extent sorry, I kind of because
2: like, my questions I kind of ran you off on a tangent. Yeah, there. No. Uh, so what made anybody tend to believe that Barack was not born as okay. a U.S. citizen? All right, so so again, there was nothing. So he was an illegal alien that came here, went to college, had a degree, right. ran for office, right? So made it all the way to the, being the president elect. And no one t- knew that he was an illegal alien? I mean, yes. that would be like one. I mean, talk about like, a, what was it Frank Gotch or Kach, who's the, uh, the one con man they made the movie about that? Uh, Leonardo.
1: Oh, uh, catch me if you can. Shout right. out about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, Barack Obama's dad is from Kenya. Okay, uh, I think you only met him twice. My dad's
2: from Cuba. Right. I'm US right. Well, citizen. now are Shit. you? <laughs> are you? I to... To... Not only do I have my brochure, but I have it in my phone because I have because I travel so much. Uh-huh. I take screenshots of all my important okay. documents. Okay. Well,
1: I'll let Donald Trump be the judge of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not taking your word for it.
0: Okay.
2: Um,
1: so, so he, uh, so, so, dad was from Kenya. I think Barack Obama met him twice. Uh, Mom was from Kansas. Mom met uh, dad over in Kenya. But Barack Obama was born in the state of Hawaii. To your
2: point. What well, year was Barack Obama b- born in?
1: Uh, what would it have been, 50s? Um, it had to be
2: after 58, right? Because that, wasn't that when uh, Hawaii became a, a state? When did Hawaii become a state? I think
1: 1958, I think, right? Hold on, I will tell you. Um, but uh, Barack's pretty young then, I, I forget. Oh, yeah. No, he is, he is very young. Uh, so... Uh, so he's born in Hawaii. Now, it's one of these things where, had there been no witnesses, like, had you not been able to find anybody, uh, 1959, by the way. For uh, uh, Hawaii? Yes. And I will uh, tell you when uh, Barack Obama was, close. was born. Yeah. Yeah. it was um, in Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Uh, had there, had there uh, not been anybody, he was born in 61. Uh, so he made it by a couple of years. Wow. Uh, had there not been any witnesses... That's one thing, you know. Kind of like nobody could remember seeing George Bush in the National Guard. <laughs> he, he apparently didn't have any Army buddies or, or National Guard <laughs> buddies or whatever. Have you ever seen that one? Uh,
2: uh, uh, later on, I'll show you a cartoon that I uh, saw that where <laughs> George uh, W. reports to duty. You know, as I'm here, they're <laughs> like, "Wait, what you, it's nineteen something? Oh, like yeah. 90, yeah, yeah." Well, he so but but the sitting governor of Hawaii,
1: when all this controversy was going on, what had been a family friend and remembered his birth and was saying, I mean, you should have seen this guy waving his hands in the air. He was going, I remember this. I was there. I know when he was born. What is all this nonsense? So he had not released a birth certificate just like no other. President just automatically offered up a birth certificate
2: upon entering the race. I guess on a side note, why not? Why not do it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm one of those people. I, I get people sitting go, you know, sometimes someone will ask a question. I have friends that are like this, and they're like, "Well, that's not within you know." I don't have to answer that. and I'm all, then I'll like look at them and be like, well, I, "I guess you're right. You don't have to." But now mm-hmm. this guy is going to harass the shit out of us. Yeah you know why don't we and you know, as a US citizen I don't have to you know present that information I'm all okay he can go over there look what do you want to see buddy you want to see my passport ask me questions like you know I have nothing to hide so let's just go ahead and get this over with and you know and get past uh, so I can move on and get back in the country or whatever the case may be
1: and that's eventually what happened because he did release he released two different but there was the birth certificate and then Trump said well that's that's not the long form we need to see the long form and they fund, long
2: form birth certificate. yes
1: and they finally then they went back and released the long form birth certificate so we did eventually do it but i think part of the reason why not is because because it had never been some sort of uh paperwork requirement before when someone comes to you and is pointing the finger of suspicion at you i think that's when you're not necessarily inclined to do something because you're it's not as if um you know uh every uh ufc fighter before you had had to prove a birth certificate before they could challenge for a title just imagine if for whatever reason it had never happened but when you got your title shot everybody's going wait a second dad's from cuba hold on well where is it where is it and they're wagging their finger at you you might in that instance be a little inclined to be like you Not know how, how does it make me any different than anybody else
2: I think I just go ahead and <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, is this going to take me 30 seconds of effort to go ahead and get past this? Well, eventually. But if they, I had to jump through hoops, yeah. you know, maybe that would upset me if I have to go back and really put a lot of effort towards something that's uh, ludicrous. But at the same time, if it takes, you know, basically the wave of my hand and some, yeah. one of my uh, assistants goes and pulls it out of a drawer.
1: I, well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how easy that was to do. I do know that that birth certificate, that long form birth certificate was. Released uh, in, in pretty close proximity uh, right after uh, Obama gave the order uh, to SEAL Team 6 to uh, take out Osama bin Laden. Because there was a meme that was, I remember there was a meme that was going around at that time, and it was a picture of Obama, and it said something like, Sorry, it took me so long to get that birth certificate. I was busy giving the order to kill bin Laden. Um, but the thing about Trump renouncing that, this. this week – why didn't
2: he renounce it at that point?
1: Because he had a good gimmick going. Okay. Here's here's what I think happened with that whole thing and Donald Trump and even, like, the show The Celebrity Apprentice and things like that. Um, I think what happened was this. I think Donald Trump, throughout the 80s and the 90s, was a famous guy... But he wasn't famous for anything that the average person could relate to. He was a real estate mogul. If you lived in, you know, if you followed New York society, you knew his face, or he was dating models or whatever. But he wasn't famous for something that the average person could associate with. Even like, a, it's not like he was a star athlete where you adopt a team as your own and, you know, your home team wins the championship or something. He was just, it's, like I said, kind of like Warren Buffett. I mean, you know, a rich guy, a guy, uh, Bill Gates, a name everybody knows. But even like with Bill Gates, he's famous for something that a lot of people have, which is a Windows-based computer. Trump didn't have any of that. When the reality show came along... Uh, The Celebrity Apprentice. That was, I think, his first opportunity to sell something to the average person. And I think, and again, this is my theory here, but I think he realized at that time, oh, this makes me not only marketable, but a but, uh, familiar face and, and likable, I guess, uh, to, to some people, you know, create a fan base with the average person. And I have this TV show to market them. And I think what he figured out with the whole birther movement, was that he had something for the first time that he could basically sell stupid people. You know, he's never going to sell a person of low intelligence a penthouse apartment on Fifth Avenue. They're out of the market for that. But if he can pitch them some crazy conspiracy, now uh, he's got their attention. And now they're following him on an issue. Okay. So from 2011, when that birth certificate was issued.
2: And then another thing I I hear constantly that I don't understand the tie is that people say, well, it's a racist thing he did. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't see the tie to where it was a racist thing. It just seemed kind of a it seemed stupid, and I'm not going to yes. say that it wasn't.
1: I, I, I think it's provably stupid. It's arguably racist in the sense that okay, it's awfully convenient that you had the first president who didn't look like the other 43 white guys whose dad was uh, not from this country, whose parents were in a mixed race relationship. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, racial Convenience to that circumstance. So uh, I'm with you. See, I'm a, I'm a, I got to prove it guy. Yeah. I, you are too. Yeah, because so I'm sitting I never, there
2: going, I, I can see that you could say that it's because his father was from a different country. Yeah. But what does that have to do with the color of the guy's skin, what his race was?
1: I never really made that charge for that reason. Yeah. It, I mean, it, I'm, I'm suspicious of it, but yeah, I Yeah, I mean, there I
2: might d- be some racial undertones yeah. in, in, in Trump's thinking.
1: Yeah, but I don't say it unless I feel like I can prove it. I yeah, can I, it just it. doesn't seem clear yeah.
2: enough for me to take a shot at.
1: Right, and I feel like what I could absolutely uh, uh, assert is, was the stupidity of this. Yeah, that's so, not, uh, so that's the part that I stood I didn't on. Pay to, to the point that there were a lot of conservative politicians who were saying, quit that. Stop doing that. Uh, Chris Christie was one of them who now inexplicably endorses Donald Trump. But that's a guy who, when he saw this thing catching on, because it did catch on with a lot of that Tea Party crowd, it caught on with people. It wasn't like Donald Trump was the only one doing this. He realized... This is where I
2: make a mistake in life. Sometimes there's a group of people that I just kind of don't value their intelligence after listening to a few of their statements. Yep. I kind of turn the volume down and don't pay attention.
1: Mm -hmm. And then you think nobody else will either. And guess what? You're in the minority.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. What, What are we all talking about this? I'm like, Wait a minute! This is stupid. How yep. did how did this gain traction?
1: Yep, that's exactly right, and it did gain traction, and that's why he kept it going. So between 2011 and just this week, when he finally said, "Okay, I give up," he he was born here. He continued this narrative. He Slate Magazine count went back and counted at least thirty-seven times that he had tweeted. Some, you know, questioning of what country Obama was born in since 2011, since that long-form birth certificate was released. So it was something that he just knew every he could keep going back to and that, that stupid people bought into it. And they would continue to buy into it. I think they continue to buy into it to this day. Now, it got him all it's the true. way. This is
2: a country where I think I saw a stat where it was like they were going off of people who thought we landed on the moon. Yeah. And there was a large percentage of US citizens that are based, you know, I'm like, that have an education here that's not, we're talking third world country, mm-hmm. that'll tell you that they are positive we didn't, that it was staged. And there was even a large percentage of unsures. So I was like, shocked. I was like, I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you know what? I'm somebody who
2: I'm all for questioning things. Yeah. Hey, you know what? F- someone first brought up the we didn't land on the moon thing. I uh-huh. remember Joe Rogan was the first yeah. guy I heard say that. And at first, my gut you know, reaction was, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, hey, I'll pay attention. Let me look. And I looked into it. And, you know, some of the things that seemed like people brought up, then you can go on there and people countered it. You know, the flag, you know, how does it wave with no breeze? And they showed, well, yes, in a vacuum. Yeah. And scientists came back and, you know, the Mythbusters did a great show on it where they were showing different ones. And then I remember one time I was sitting there and they go, there's mirrors on the planet. How do we put the mirrors up there? Yeah. You know, the guys, well, you know, we could put, you know, a, a, you know, a robot uh, – uh, uh, in an android you know you know up there and, and we did it through robotics i'm like so you're telling me that it's more plausible that in 1969 that we sent robots <laughs> to go do our work than we did with uh with with humans uh, i don't know
1: and you have a much more uh you you have much more patience for this argument than one of the guys who was actually on the moon Do you, you remember that story a few years back when buzz aldrin punched a guy no for the, <laughs> it was one of these anti like like you know uh, we didn't land on the moon conspiracy buzz aldrin's like 82 or something like that and the guy came up to him and was like trying to get into it and the old man just punched him
2: you know my strongest uh, real quick before we continue my strongest argument to that for anybody that thinks besides all the other information we have is i just again you know like Achman's razor is the simplest solution i'm like oh right, let's yeah. say that we were in an arms race with uh russia they spit they sent sputnik up there was 51 i think yeah so they beat us into outer space and you know now it's this you know big thing kennedy came through said that we will put a man on the moon in the next 10 years or whatever the case may be (laughs) so let's say we do it let's say we we fudged it we did this in some studio up in nevada you know i was in the desert area 51 (laughs) type so if we get away with it we have a whole other country that has spies that we have proven throughout history of stolen information, yeah. even as recently as China in my era, our era has uh, you know came through and taken things from us. So
1: at the height of the Cold War, by right? The way, so right. this is the height
2: of the Cold War. Yeah. We have spies and and different individuals who are trying their best. Yeah. And if we pull this off and get away with it, we go up there. I think it was like what nine times we've been on the moon. You know. Yeah. So we're gonna go ahead and, and and really just it's like it's kind of like you cheated on a test you got away with it but then you go back and you correct the same test eight more times yeah it's like you're kind of pushing your luck there buddy you know what I mean like I think most people would have assumed that if we got away with it once let's keep our mouth shut uh, the astronauts are up there gonna die mysteriously in car wrecks you know within a few years to make sure that they never get a you know a, a crisis of consciousness or anything goes on. Nine more, t- you know, whatever. How many times have we made it a routine to go up there? Yeah. No, there's no way. That's that's just completed. You know, anybody of average intelligence, would you try to get away with something? Once you got away with it, would you do the same crime for no more extra benefit? You're not going to get – you know, you've already done it. You, you're the first one there. You're going to try to cheat – multiple times more for the same situation not again we're not talking like you robbed one bank and you got away with it but you're going to go back and rob the same bank and not get any more money you why would you press your luck i mean just that simple reasoning to me is you know just think about it guys put yourself in that situation that makes no sense whatsoever
1: i think that the problem for the i think the the trap that the conspiracy theorist falls into is that once they start believing that everything is a conspiracy theory, it keeps you from having to accept simple explanations when they actually exist, but they're not optimal. Like when when the the real truth is something that is fairly simple and it's also something that. We don't like. We don't want it to be the case. Then a conspiracy theory can always allow us to sort of kick the can down the road. And and certain conspiracies don't
2: make sense. They don't. And and like when guys go for it, I'm like, okay, like nine eleven. At first, everybody's like, oh, inside job. Then I watched a show on it. You know, different guys like, hey, they got the two largest uh, demolition groups in North America, the two biggest companies, and they said if you were going to bring down this building, how long would it take you guys to wire this and set it up? And there were like six months and probably about a thousand different guys going in and out of there. Hmm. So you're telling me that you snuck a thousand dudes and secretly wired a building for six months to bring it down. What are the chances that not one of those guys tells his wife, tells a mistress, writes something down, tweets the wrong person. I don't yeah. know. You know, it just, it just doesn't sound plot. Now I don't think every conspiracy theory is without merit. I'm still not really sold on the whole Kennedy assassination thing. I'm with you on that one. You know? I agree. Yeah. I That's think. one that I actually yeah. kind of like go, hey, guys, there might be something more to this. Like, the more I look at it and go, wow, the bullet here it had to have bounced back. I'm like, damn, dude, I go shooting a lot. I've never seen a bullet even – I've never even heard of a bullet doing that. You know, I've been shooting targets and people go, hey, we're this far back. I'm like, oh, you know, one might ricochet in the air, but once it makes impact, it loses so much energy. You'll actually be able to see it, you know, spin yeah. up through and the sun might glint off of it or whatever the case may be. And, you know, and then when they talked about the type of rifle he had and was able to fire them all – Man, that's some pretty good shooting, you know, for a guy like that that, you know, that failed his, uh, you know, marksmanship in the military. And, you know, I'm like, so he improved that much that soon or just had one hell of a game day? I'm like, uh, you know, maybe, but if, you know, the, you tell me there was someone on the grassy you knoll, I'm like, there's a strong possibility. I mean, hey, I'm all ears on that one. You know, I, The evidence to conclude that it's not is not as solid as some of the other conspiracy theories where I'm like, all right, guys, come on. We're really reaching for, reaching for straws here.
1: No, I agree. And I think that uh, that's also one where there are a lot of other plausible theories of people who had motive around Kennedy, right? Well, the
2: assassin so, they the assassin yes, immediately afterwards. Jack like, that's, Ruby, right, yeah, when yeah, he assassinated out, oh, you, know, Oswald, you know, I didn't want his yeah. wife to be in... That kind of pain or, you know, public trial. I'm like, who the hell thinks that? Yeah. That is the most lame excuse oh, I've ever and, heard in my life. And
1: by the way, I just happen to be one of Dallas's leading gangsters. That ah. too. Yeah. I'm, I'm not just Joe Private Citizen. I happen to be very well connected to the underworld here. Right. And now I'm, I'm uh, making that because
2: that's what. Did you what- see there was an interview where they said that his wife, that he had received a phone call after they had caught, uh, uh, was it Whitman or. Uh, who are you talking about Oswald? Oswald. Uh, yeah, Whitman Oswald.
1: was the uh, University of Texas clock yeah, tower. that was the guy up in the tower. Yeah. That's right. So they
2: caught mm-hmm. Oswald. Right. And, um, you know, he got a phone call, Ruby, and you know, he was on the phone like, all right, okay, all right, you know, and, like basically the call that, you know, you got to take this guy out. Yeah. Because, you know, who knows what he's going to say. Yeah. I mean, what the better way to silence, you know, any kind of, you know, you know kill the guy that got paid to kill somebody. You know? Right. And, 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 of
1: course, Oswald's famous quote, I'm just a patsy. In this, you know that was something yeah. Oswald said to the press. Uh, well, see, that's one that, yeah, I agree. I think that that there's there's a lot of credible. Thought paths you can go down and explore in terms of alternative theories to the Kennedy assassination. Cobain,
2: there's a one for you. Oh yeah, have you watched that show yet?
1: Yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah, yeah. I watched it right after you did. We were talking about that. But the problem is, and and I said, if you tell me you've got a good boy, and by the way, you are teeing us up for a deluge. Of uh email we're going to get from <laughs> truthers, because we've got them that listen to the show. I've already heard from them a number of times hey, I like that if you really into. have
2: something I'll turn my head and I'll look I'll listen too. no that's the ah, thing if you'm open-minded you, if, if
1: you tell me you've got a conspiracy theory, I'm listening, okay, but you got to have something with it, okay yeah. You can't just tell me that uh the planes didn't really fly into the, the Pentagon that all those people were flown somewhere else and housed and when I ask you, okay, well, where are they? Well, we hadn't figured that part out yet, but yeah. they're somewhere, you know. Well, then you've got an incomplete theory on your hands. Well, but like I, the
2: one, some of them kind of upset me a little bit, you know. I remember I was sitting there at a table with friends and and acquaintances, <laughs> and uh, the Sandy Hook yes. shooting came up, and they were telling me that you know that those were actors that were parents, and I'm like sitting there looking at them going geez, buddy, I hope to God you never tweet that out. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, but you know where that comes from. So
1: so that is something that has been Talk expelled. about spitting in the
2: face of someone yeah. with some real I – mean, I could never imagine losing a child, but it's fun when they come there and tell me that my child never existed or if I'm just an actor. You're acting right. Oh, my God.
1: Well, and so, so that is something – and I, by the way, when I say we're going to get email from people, I know of at least one guy that listens to us that I've already had this very conversation with. So he he knows who he, he is if he's out there, and, and there, there'll be some <laughs> Make other sure you ones as them well. to me. I want to see I this. I will. No, I will. But uh, you, you can fashion your own response. But, but – a lot of that stuff comes from. So, do you know the guy Alex Jones and InfoWars? Have you heard of this guy? Yeah,
2: actually, I have a, a, I actually downloaded the app because enough people brought uh-huh. it up to me in different yeah. situations that. You know, I, I hate having a conversation when I don't know what we're talking about. Yes, you know, so I'm like, all right, well, let me go look at it myself. And yeah. so I actually have his app on my phone.
1: So I have done Alex Jones's uh, show before. I've been a guest on on his show. I actually did it with Hal Sparks. Uh, he uh, Alex Jones is based in uh, Austin, and Hal and I went on Alex's show. And I think uh, I know there's clips of it on YouTube. If you search our three names together, it should come up. And we're discussing nine eleven conspiracies and things like that. But uh, so I am intimately familiar with Alex Jones, uh, and and did his show, I've had a lot of off air conversations with him and things like that. Uh, and the thing is, though, he is a guy who, um, and I think you got to look at this, has a whole business built on conspiracy. Yeah, I mean, the whole business it. is based on it. No, but, a lot
2: of times I think when people are the leaders of those groups, yeah. if we ever were to get them to the side and they know that we would never repeat, they'd be like, yeah, man, I know this is bullshit, but goddamn, does it pay the bills? Well, the
1: spon- <laughs> the sponsors on his show or, you know, the people that make your bomb shelters and your survivalist yeah. type things and all that. Now, listen, talking about evidence, you know, I don't have evidence that he doesn't believe any of that. So and he hasn't said he never said that to me when I was on his show or anything like that. So I'm not accusing him of that but what I will say is this and I, I asked this question of him and I've also asked it of uh Jesse Ventura because I've interviewed him a number of times you know he's a leading conspiracy theorist guy yeah. now is uh you ask them, kind of what is the first one that got your attention I know in Jesse's case it was the Kennedy assassination so I get that you know that's the one that got the ball rolling for him um but when you ask them okay tell me one that you think is total nonsense Tell me a popular conspiracy theory out there that you think is total nonsense. At least in the case of those two guys, they don't they don't name you one, really. And I think the reason is because they know that, and this is this is my editorial here. But I think they know that if they go ahead and say one of these is They're for crackpots. Some of their Constituents, base, exactly, yes. and and there's a lot of crossover with them. I get those. that. See, right. it's kind of like, but see, it, then
2: I can't trust that person, right? It's, it's like us. Yeah. You and I have both just sat here going that, hey, for the most part, the average conspiracy kind of seems like it's a lot of fluff, you yeah. know, a lot of smoke and mirrors. But there are a few that every once in a while someone will bring up to be like, you know what, buddy, I, I really don't have an answer to. You know, you might have something there. You know, geez, mm-hmm. you know, like that just seems like a much more reasonable thought process when people are in the middle. Yeah. Anytime you sit there and go that no conspiracy is possible, that they're all bullshit, I'm like... Really everything? I mean we have had things come back years later and people release information, and go, Well, yeah, no, we knew and then the government has done that. Well we retracted it, but at the time we couldn't do it because of mm-hmm. you know uh, of, of you know, interest overseas and whatever the case may be, you know, we're in the middle of war. All right, you know, and and but you know, obviously if you tell me that you think every conspiracy is has merit, I'm like okay, buddy, come on.
1: Yeah, and, and, and then sometimes it turn. you know, there's there's nothing wrong with exploring them, but it does turn out that Sometimes they're just as you thought they might be. I, you know, a couple of them uh, that come to mind that happened right around the same time. If you look at the uh, historically looking back on the Lindbergh kidnapping, yeah. and uh, also the the Rosenberg uh, spy what was the scandal, on the Lindbergh one? So uh, the the thing with uh, the Lindbergh babies kidnapping is there is a lot of uh, uh, belief. That the guy who was accused of uh, of doing it either didn't do it or uh, was involved with some other people. That um, uh, you know maybe he was kind of an unwitting accomplice, and some of those people got away that were involved in it.
2: No, I can believe in that because I saw the thing on. I mean, they had the ladder and the baby. Basically, it looks like from what I remember, didn't the baby die? They they, they, they surmise it afterwards. like yes. Basically, the guy fucked up. The ladder broke while he was holding this small child. Yes. And the child received a skull fracture. But the person that was uh, executed for it, it was a German. Bruno
1: Richard Hopman. As
2: Hopman. far as I remember, yeah. he had like the $20,000 on him. Right. It's like, okay.
1: Well, he, as I recall, they uh, had the money. And he didn't and... have a
2: great explanation for how he got the money. Right.
1: He had the some of the money. Uh, they believe that there was a piece of wood that was pulled out of his attic that was used on the ladder. I mean, he he was implicated in, in some whatever. pretty serious ways. But I think there was also a lot of thought to the fact I have to go back and look through all this— but there was also a lot of thought to the fact that uh, there was conflicting evidence that may have just kind of been rushed through in the interest of yeah. Charles Lindbergh's a national hero— this is the, you know, it was the trial of the century before, uh, OJ. You yeah. know, it was considered to be. I
2: mean, they still make, I mean, if you watch Family Guy or any other cartoons yeah. that, that will poke fun at, you know, society, I mean, there's still, uh, uh, points or references made, you know, based upon mm-hmm. that. So it's very much of a, a major, uh, pop icon or pop event and you know, some Yeah, our culture.
1: It, it, it was. He, um, a search of, uh, I'm looking this up online now, a search of, uh, by police of Hoffman's Garage, found over $14,000 of the ransom money. Um, And uh, he was, when was he executed? Uh, Let's see here. Uh, I would have been a
2: strong proponent of, on circumstantial evidence such as that, without a smoking gun, I don't think we can execute somebody. I'm not a strong proponent of execution to begin with. Yeah. Because I do know that humans, no matter how great... We try to avoid it. Uh, we make mistakes. People do make errors. Sometimes a bad guy gets away, sometimes a good guy might get incarcerated yeah and um, man there's just there 's no going back once we execute somebody and especially the way the judicial system is set up now, just put the guy in jail for the rest of his life if you know wouldn 't it be better if thirty years later down the road when science keeps evolving? We figure out maybe the guy didn't do it. We can let him go. I mean, it's still a travesty that he lost 30 years of his life,
1: Yeah, but at least he didn't get executed. He was electrocuted in 1936, four years after the kidnapping. He Hoffman turned down a large offer from a, one of William Randolph Hearst newspapers for a confession and also refused a last-minute offer to commute his execution to a life sentence in exchange for a confession. It's interesting. But I'll tell you another one. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, another one. At that one, point,
2: if I know I'm getting executed, even if I'm innocent, yeah. I might just make a story up. You know, screw yeah. it, I did it. <laughs> Whatever yeah. you guys said I did, I did. You know, just put me in, uh, you know, and then 10 years from now, maybe I'll sit there and go, hey, I gave that uh, confession and a duress. Yeah, I mean, talk about a confession and a duress. You're telling me to confess or you're going to put me in the electric chair. Fuck right. it, I did it. What <laughs> did I do? You know, I, I did yeah. that too. You know, like, uh, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I crucified Jesus. I'm 2,000 years old. Come on.
1: <laughs> but the other one I was going to mention was... Was the Rosenberg spy scandal, and that's one that when that happened during the the uh, the Red Scare with uh, Wait, Ethel 1950s, and Julius right? Rosenberg, I was actually the forties. Was think. the forties? Uh, that 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 is one that for a, the longest time, a lot of people have thought that uh, they were innocent. They right? were innocent, and now even by the admission of some of their family members, they believe that at least he was probably. Uh, Guilty of it uh, that, and she was kind of uh, somewhat replaced. of uh, an accomplice. That was in um, let's see, nineteen fifty one was uh, when they were uh, tried, and they were executed in nineteen
2: fifty three. Every time, every time brings up any kind of Russian Cold War spy scandals. Mm-hmm. I always think of the fifties. First thing that comes to mind, you know, what was it, the uh, MacArthur era? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, by the way, in the uh, later after the whole trial and decades passed and everything uh, in Nikita Khrushchev's memoirs, when those were released, he said that, uh, of course, he was uh, the leader of the Soviet Union from 53 to 64. He said that he, quote, cannot specifically say what kind of help the Rosenbergs provided us, but that they that uh, he had learned from Joseph Stalin that they had, quote, Provided very significant help in accelerating the production of our atomic bomb, and I think they had a, this is a maybe a granddaughter uh, that did a uh, documentary about it. That uh, you know basically said that she sort of uh, uh, decided that um, you know that that had uh, been the case, and and also they had some other people confess around them that said they were soviet spies so it's all i'm saying is that this is one of these things where it's totally worth looking into you know yeah. it was in a it was in a, an era where there was a rush to judgment over something everybody's freaked out everybody wants to assign blame same thing that happened
2: with 9-11 you know let's invade yeah. iraq let's somebody's gonna pay a price and now i mean there's one people said there you know cause there was no weapons of mass destruction mm-hmm. well, well guess what now you had a was the prime minister of uh england now uh, during that time tony blair, blair tony blair tony blair comes out and says that. well yeah i didn't actually have any kind of evidence yeah i go in ahead and just uh you know we felt like there was yeah i'm like wow we invaded a whole country millions of people died and you lied
1: yeah and and so it's it's never a bad thing to question it's just that everything is not always going to lead to a conspiracy theory. And I guess no. scatter shooting all these different uh, you know, h- historical moments around is, is illustrating that. And so to the Barack Obama uh, birth certificate thing, which is where we started with on all this, after Trump markets, mass markets this thing since 2011, continues with it, this past week, to just go, you know, for the first time where it's not serving your agenda. For the first time, up up until this year, uh, it's been beneficial to his brand. But now, for the first time, he's got to move beyond that because he got the Republican nomination for president. For him to just go, yeah, okay, never mind. Um, is that good enough? I don't think that's good
2: enough. Well, I think he's in the same situation where you were just basically speaking about... Some of the guys that, you know, make a living off of conspiracy theories, and you said there, you posted in the question, like, poke at one that, or, or, you know, bring up one that you know that is complete, just, you know, bullshit, you know, that people are just really just barking up the wrong tree. And I think that we're, I think that, um, I think Trump is having to do a balancing act, uh, from what I've seen on television so far. where In one sense, because you know the presidential candidate uh, debates is coming up here, he doesn't want to have a very open, easy target for Hillary to uh, fire at. Yeah. But in the same sense, so he has to kind of, in one sense, kind of admit to guilt, but you know, or you know, to 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 to, to, to apologize and, and go backwards, but not so much so that he insults the people that do still follow this thought process and I think say it in such a non-apologetic way that basically they're like, well, you know, he's going along with it. You know, he, he retracted, Mm. but he really Mm. doesn't feel that way. Yeah. He's kind of really positioned himself to have best of both worlds Mm -hmm. where, you know, kind of like, you know, you ever done that as a kid, you know, when you were really guilty of something and you got caught, but you admit to it in a way where it seems kind of like you're just taking the blame that you really didn't do it. I didn't do that
1: as a kid, but I've dated a lot of women who do that.
2: (laughs) You know, it's like, well, yeah, no, you're right. No, no, I did it. You're right. No, I did that. Yeah. And you sit there and your tone is like, well, I admitted that I did it. Like, But the way you're doing it isn't really kind of like, well, why are you still harping on me? I admitted it. You know, so you kind of can diffuse the situation but save face at the same time. Uh, Pretty intelligent tactic, you know, for, you know having to juggle both you know one place you have to have the same people you know that you want to follow you go all right he pulled it back that was stupid i'm glad he's no longer you know driving that agenda forward at the same time you know the people that you know that still buy into it which i guess there's still people out there that don't think that you know that obama has gone through all this scrutiny after all this time and nobody can figure out that he's not really a citizen yeah uh that, uh, you know, he has to still appease them a little bit by, you know, by, you know, he's conforming, but he's, he's not really conforming. He's just. Uh,
1: no, you get what it is. It's front loading. Uh, it, it it It's 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 front loading a bold claim that you don't necessarily have to pay off on in the end. And it's banking on the fact that people will just buy into all that advanced hype and won't. Won't be around for the eventual follow through if you have to make a concession. Listen, I deal with it in my my day job uh, at the brothels because I part of my job is to do the the public relations work for Dennis Hoff, the guy that that owns them, and he is, you know, he he uh, he is the self professed uh, P T Barnum of prostitution. I mean, he is a carnival barker. And a lot of the stuff that we do that gets him... I'm going to pull back the curtain for you late night here on uh, the I'm, patio I'm at Stately Mirror Manor. I
2: think everybody always finds the uh, brothel... Uh, hey, listen. Anytime you start talking brothel work, uh, yeah, especially myself as a married man who comes home to my kids, uh, yeah. you know, live vicariously through uh, right. the stories of others. Well,
1: have a seat. Pull up a chair. I'll tell you a story. Uh, but, you know, a lot of what, what I do for him... Uh, and I sort of describe it this way. I say, um, my if, if I had to explain in, in a phrase what my job is really for him and doing his public relations, it's to look at the day's headlines at 9 a.m. that don't have anything to do with him. And by 5 p.m., I figured out a way to shoehorn his name into that narrative so that he's doing all the cable talk shows by evening time commentating on some subject that doesn't have anything to do with him. I got a, a lot of times that's what I do.
2: Does he do this because he strives for fame or because he really needs to push his product? Because Both. Okay. Because, I mean, you have to sell vacuum cleaners. you got to mm-hmm. be a good salesman. Mm-hmm. Selling pussy doesn't seem like you have to be that great of a salesman. It kind of sells itself. i, I got to be honest with <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> as far as things that most uh, – uh, men would be willing to go ahead and put money on. Be like, yeah. hey, uh, you know, I got this new book over. Here. You want the encyclopedia? You know, you know, twenty easy payments of. You are like, ah, shit. Well, I don't know. You are like, well, you, you see her. Old- job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I can use my credit card. <laughs> the business
0: <laughs> card. We're in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that is true. What What happened with him is, um, I think, I think, like in Dennis's case. I think he enjoys being famous more than he enjoys being rich. I think he, he likes oh, having. Me and Dennis money. will never be able to read <laughs> on that one. I, I would
2: so much if you gave me a choice to be famous or to be rich. Yeah. Be rich. I think he certainly
1: likes having the comforts of money. But I think that if you offered him the choice, if you could rewind the clock and say, "Okay, you're either going to be, you know, you're you're going to have this amount of money, you're you're going to be comfortable, you're you're going to be uh, right, it's not going to be uh, poor, no, you're not going to be poor, but you're going to be famous, okay, you're going to be, class yeah, you're going to be famous as the the world's most famous pimp, you can have that, or you can have five times the wealth." but you're going to be some generic anonymous, you know, you're going to make it in real estate or something like that. Nobody's going to have any idea who you are. I think he picks the former, wow. especially having led the life that he's led. Uh, because he's kind of, and I, I I would say any of these things if he were here, so this is not talking out of turn, but I, I would think that he loves – Everything happening in the spotlight so much, almost as, it, as if that makes it a matter of record. You know, so it's kind of like if a, if a press release falls in the woods and no one reads it, did it ever exist? You know, yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of like if it, it, it needs to happen in the spotlight, in the public eye, for it to really be uh, a valid occurrence.
2: <laughs> I wish my wife one time towards the end; she's going to have to talk to people, explain the uh the uh, the mental uh, jujitsu she has to pull on me sometimes mm-hmm. to give me to you know to really push some aspects of my career that I don't relish yeah. as much as others yeah. and you know bottom line is I'm a father I have to provide for the family and there's things that I do enjoy in life but it seems like uh, you know uh, some of the fame gets kind of tied into it mm-hmm. and it's not that I choose it to do it for the fame for the sake of fame itself but it's like, well, I really do like fighting. I like training all the time, and getting paid to do it's nice. It's like, well, now we got to put you on TV. I'm like, ah, oh, shit, really? Yeah. Fuck, all right, you know, well, let's do it, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: He, so he, I, I, I think to the the original uh, uh, point. Uh, I, I think a lot of the stuff that I come up with, I can't take all the credit for it but i mean you know we kind of brainstorm these ideas uh, myself and him and a couple other people that work in the media department but uh i've i've spearheaded a number of them of these wacky campaigns that we've done and we've you know through him made a lot of really bold wild claims um we're going to auction off some girl's virginity Um, we're going to create a college loan program that that,
2: that really gains a lot of traction with people, huh? Yes, not so much. I mean, obviously, I don't understand like personally. (laughs) Even as a young man, Mm -hmm. I really didn't search out virgins to have sex with.
1: What it does sound like nothing but a pain in the ass, right?
2: I mean, I just you know, I mean, I've had an experience or two when I was younger, but as far as what a woman knew what to do in bed, I mean, I kind of looked for the you know. I liked girls that were a little, you know, obviously I didn't want to worry that I was going to die a couple of years later, Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, I don't yeah. want the emotional aftermath. Why
1: yeah. would not you call me? I thought we're,
2: yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, I mean, I don't see the novelty of, 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 a virgin to me. I'm sitting there going, so you have a girl that's going to cry and, and be in pain and, and be, you know, and not and, be very good and enthusiastic in and bed.
1: You, you know what some guys are thinking? Yeah.
0: Yes, yeah. exactly. I've always She's wondered about She's gonna
1: be rem- traumatized. okay. You are right. My, face I've always will put be it more on penis. Size. into her mind. Whenever
2: I've had a friend that's like, yeah. ah, you know, like uh, okay, here is like a very racial subject that one time got brought up. Uh, a girl when I was younger, I was dating her. Her her former boyfriend uh, was a black guy, uh-huh. and uh, I remember my uh, buddies, you know, were sitting there after a football game, you know, and uh, they we're talking about it. And um the subject got brought up, if it bugged me or not. Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of looking at him, really just out of, you know, like, why? Well, because she was a black guy. I'm all, wh- what does that matter? Like, I don't really relish the idea of thinking about any penis that was there before me. I mean, I'm not really <laughs> focusing on that a white penis... Dropping a load inside my girl or a black one is any uh-huh. different? Like, they're both penises that I really don't want to. You know, like I, I'm aware they're there. That there, there's a past to the woman that I'm with. Yeah, but uh, I'm not sitting there focused more on one being more acceptable than the other.
1: Well, know? and see, I look at it the opposite way. Where well, it's and like I, I
2: actually made a claim to the yeah. guy. I was like you're not hung very well are you i'm assuming that's the problem yeah you're not hitting the sides yeah (laughs) i mean
1: well see i and and you know what if we're not talking about prostitution then yes i'm sure that probably is the insecurity of a lot of guys who are worried about if their girls been you know gotten around or whatever now i would look at it the opposite way in the civilian world i look at it like like this like if you've had your share of experiences, to say the least, as a girl, you know, to whatever degree, but you're not some, I wasn't the first person you were with or whatever, uh, you know, you've lived a life, and you're with me, I must
2: be awesome. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, well, I'm competitive. What, so if a girl comes to me, I've had girls who yeah. past it. Might not be over their ex boyfriend and they start claiming whatever prowess that that boyfriend had. Oh, yeah. I look at it as a challenge. I'm like, all right, well, you know, fuck that. I'm going to make you forget about him. Sure. And the next guy's going to have to deal with my ass, my memory. (laughs) Well, and that's, and that's, that, that, that
1: makes sense too. But you know what I mean? It's like, it's like if, to me, if you've got a girl, and I think this is why I've always been attracted to girls who were self confident. Uh, or, you know, who were intelligent is to me, if you've got all that going for, like, if I, if you don't need me, right, you're, you're doing just fine on your own as a person, yeah. but you meet me. And despite the fact that you're so independent, you've got all that going for you.
2: If you want to be with me, yeah, that's a good thing. No, that's Trust I'm, I'm dated girls in the past. Yeah, that, that you are the dependence or you are the center of their right, happiness. Right. And that is unfair to put on anybody. Well, no, I mean, if you it, can't be yeah. happy with by yourself. I'm not going to make you happy all the time and and shit, is that really my job in life is to fucking bring you happiness mm. all I should be a bonus, yeah, my wife and I Mrs. was a she's very outgoing and, and very has all her friends and she has a complete life before I was ever in it, and mm-hmm. now I'm just a bonus, yeah, I just assist that life to be so and her vice versa i'm happy, you know I was happy living by myself alone. The people I'm with, I want to be an accentuation to my happiness. Not that I'm alone, I'm miserable. Let me find somebody that'll make me happy. I'm like, geez, bro, you're you're set up for disaster. That's a horrible thought process.
1: Well, you augmented her life, but you weren't a prerequisite to her identity to her it's not no. like she was she was a uh, uh, void of an identity and that that that's the thing and so people you know who do and guys can do this too uh w- yeah, with men, girls men or women but both yeah it's, it's like but if you're just sort of defined by that that's a real false that's a hollow victory for the person who is the significant other because all it means is you just happen to be right place right time you happen to be the person for this this insecure person who can't be alone you just happened to be in the area well i told you that's why i
2: admire you um one of the things i admire about you is that you know you are now you know 45 or 46 is your birthday uh, yesterday yesterday happy birthday thank you um you don't strike me as the person that's like not you have a great relation with jen but you weren't hunting it like i have friends that have yeah right been older before they get serious with somebody And I think that's a good quality in somebody. I think that it's actually a scary quality. Not that you can't find your soulmate, the, you know, love of your life at a young age, but typically I'm like, well, you don't even know who you are yet. You know, why don't yeah. you wait a little while? But so many people are so afraid to be by themselves that they just settle to be with whoever, and it's like, yeah, I'm miserable. I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. You yeah. just picked the first person that allowed you to move in with them. Like, yeah. you, know, you had no. You pick your friends like that, you know, and you you're gonna pick your you know your 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 mate with less uh, scrutiny than you are your own friends. You're probably gonna end up with some issues.
1: No, that's real true. And you know, the other thing too is that in in, in real life, a partnership, a relationship is just that in the sense that there's going to be times where things are going better for one person than the other, like, say, career-wise, financially, whatever, and vice versa. So the worst scenario that you can fall into is is where in that coupling, because one person has no real world experience, let's say they moved right from living with mom and dad to living with you. So you're just the next you're the surrogate parent. You're the next person that's taking care of them. Should you fall ill? Should you lose your job? Should you go through a career change? Whatever the thing is, they won't know what the hell to do. You know, as opposed to if you've had somebody who's been on their own, who's had a sense of independence, even if you're primarily. My kids aren't
2: allowed to get married until they're 30. That's good policy, you know. And I say that as a hypocrite because I got married at 24. uh, I made it work. Yeah. But now with the mistakes and you know issues and some of the hardships I went through in marriage, I realized that. I would have been so much better of a husband at 30 yeah. than I was at 24.
1: Yeah, but what I'm saying is like, like, you know, you're married to a very strong woman, so it's like if, if something, you know, were to, to – you know, happen to you where you got physically incapacitated or something like yeah, that. We've i have mean, been there, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like she can still, you know, she she maybe can't assume your career, but at the same time, she can lead a family. You know, yes. she every no one will be lost. Everybody will be taken care of. You'll be taken care of. Right. The roles might be reversed. You know, you will. And it's so nice to have somebody that can
2: pull their own weight.
1: And, and absolutely. So so somehow this. Le- no, leads well, me back to Demis.
2: Well, so husband, so because I, I interrupted you about the whole virginity thing. And then right. Oh, yes, turs. auctioning so, the virginity. So in one sense, it seems like it gains traction with some weirdos that really totally. just covet the virginity of a girl. But then on the other side, I don't understand why the uproar, because it just seems like for every one guy that might click on that site because, ooh, a girl uh-huh. is on a virginity, you probably have ten people that go, oh, my God, what the hell are you guys doing? You guys are the devil themselves. And and to no. me, I'm like, <clears throat> As long as the person's eighteen, I could give a shit less. Right. If some eighteen-year-old idiot decides that they want to go ahead and lose a virginity and get paid money for it, fuck half the girls I know. The loss of virginity can get shit for it. Not even a thank you. Who cares? It's their body. They're mm-hmm. doing it. Like you know, why do you give a shit?
1: Okay, so I'll explain the media strategy to you, just like it's a town hall Clash of Clans meeting. Okay, this is how you <laughs> attack it. So let's let's use the the round number of ten. All right, let's say uh, and this actually happens so you know Dennis Hoff is gonna go on uh, um, you know Tyra Bank show with the the girl that's going to auction off her virginity right they're gonna do daytime TV uh, and let's let's use the the you know every 10 people analogy of how out of those 10 people what percentage is gonna take it one way versus another um, maybe one in ten, is the creepo that's like, oh, yeah, I got to get in on that, okay? So success there, because now he has had that uh, reality marketed to him. Let's say nine of those people um, are going to be turned off by it, okay, but they were never coming to the brothel anyway, and they account for ninety percent of the ratings of this show because they are their disdain is engaged. They're actively right. uh, uh, they're engaged in disdain. No, they're engaged. no, no, no. They are not apathetic. They are up in arms, which means they're going to be sickened through sitting through the whole episode because they can't tell look other away about it. They're That's right. That's view. right. So what that does is that equals ratings, which means that the Tyra Bankses of the world will have Dennis on again and again and again because he equals ratings to talk about whatever it is he has to talk about and market his brothel and then the 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 third prong to that which is the the one that we don't isn't readily apparent is yeah, I can't think of what the third is prong the be. regular customer to the brothel who they were already going anyway and finding out that there's some girl that's auctioning off her virginity even if that's not their thing that's not going to stop them from going they're not going to go. Oh, I'll give you an example. I no, you- if I was a
2: single guy, brothel seemed like a good idea. I got to be honest with you. I know some people might sit there and go, "What the hell?" Uh-huh. But you know, uh, I'm married, so you know, uh, it's easy to for me just to you know make sure the kids are in their own bedrooms and I can have my own private time. But if I was single and I had to go hunt women down and. Man, the world's, you know, it takes a lot of effort, you know, to uh, to go on dates and, you know, you have all these sites out there and you're going to spend money. And (laughs) I guess I'm just too much of a logical guy. I go, okay, I can go and spend a date, dancing, whatever the case, you know, uh, end of the night, mm, you know, a percentage of getting late. I I feel like I'm a good looking guy that would probably, you know, score more often than getting shot down. But let's face it, you know, I'm not even Casanova is not a hundred percent, you know, kill rate. Yeah. And then you have to worry about psychopaths, uh, you know, all kinds of issues, you know, that occur from the backlash. Yep. Why didn't you call me? It didn't work out. Whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm like, ah, you know, it might be cheaper and safer, you know, just to just to go to a brothel, you know.
1: Well, that's true. And I, had I not seen behind the curtain, see, you and I are in Uh-oh. the same place but at because, least the
2: crazies can't come after me well no what i was gonna say is between between me because they're working, tested for diseases right and they can't leave the house no so I means i get to go home and they can't blow my phone up no that's, this is that's, awesome
1: that's all true but what i was gonna say is what's the downside man what, what i was gonna say is between you know me working behind the scenes at the brothels you working behind the scenes at the strip clubs We've seen the reality of it. See, from the reason I couldn't, I'm strippers
2: don't go home with them because no, but what I'm saying
1: is, you know, the reality, you know, the, you know, the reality of the fact that the girls aren't really in love with them, that they're really not, uh, you know, that this is a business that they're, well, that's
2: what I'm banking on in my situation. Yeah.
1: But I can't, but see, here's the thing. I can't suspend this belief. Like, I can't be with somebody that I don't think is at least marginally interested in me oh, okay, for me. That, that would be my problem. Now, if I didn't know that, if I could buy into the myth or the fantasy, if I could suspend this belief, then maybe. See, I but think as long as we have a conversation know.
2: with the young lady, I'd yeah. tell her that, um, hey, don't fake it. I don't need you to try to impress me or make me feel uh-huh. good. Like, if you don't feel anything, I don't give a fuck if you look at your watch. Like, oh, like, honestly, like this would. is a business proposition, and <laughs> I could care less whether you like it or not.
1: Like Jane Fonda in That's probably the only time that reference is appropriate on this uh,
2: podcast. That's but how deep I, But we I go. think I, I, I'm like you. I don't want anybody to think that they're fooling me. Yeah, no, I just So I can't. come in there knowing that this is a business. This is like getting a yeah. massage. I don't care if the massage therapist is enjoying it or not. This is for me.
1: Yeah, to a to a degree, but I I if I know that too much, if I've seen it, it's one thing to. So know
2: So you're saying it. that the massage therapist is repulsed by your body; it's going to bug you.
1: Oh, yes, it's one thing to know it without having witnessed it. So so if I've got in my I'm, I'm a smart. You guy. must have
2: a very specific story you can think of right now.
1: <laughs> I mean, a number of them. Yeah, just knowing the way that girls you know, think or what's really going on in their lives or whatever. See, maybe and, I'm
2: just spurned in a different direction because I worked at a strip club for so long. Yeah. So I kind of know what women that work in that industry think of men. Yes. And I have no sympathy or no, no anticipation or no, that they're going to think of me as any differently. You no, know, so I, yeah, in no, one sense, that. I'm like, okay, so yeah. you basically, it's just a dollar bill, right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: But see, that, but that's no fun for me. See, as the guy, I can't, maybe we're different that way, but I can't, like, um, I mean, everything doesn't have to be happily ever after romance. I'm not saying that I need the girl to be madly in love with
2: me. You're not really a one-night stand kind of guy.
1: No, that's okay, too. Oh, really? But I've got to feel like she's really into doing that she's into me for whatever however whatever level she's in like she's definitely into doing this with me because there's something about me that she likes and there's something i like about her and all that if it's if
2: yeah i guess i'm thinking that too yeah, I would think that like, oh, come on, you're not really not enjoying yourself a little bit. Look at me, you know, and I'm capable of doing, you know, yeah. I'm pretty decent in bed. I've always dated older women, you know, yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Mears five years older than I am. I yeah. did that for a reason. Young yeah. girls couldn't keep up.
1: Oh, I see. I see. Yes.
2: Well, and, and so
1: it, 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 I mean, it doesn't have to be everything for me, but it's got to be something. And what I definitely could not do is just be sort of a victim of my own intelligence in this situation going,
2: you just couldn't suspend disbelief enough. Huh?
1: Yeah. Like, Oh, it's kind of all this girl can do to just sort of get through this. That's no fun for yeah. me. I don't want to be that guy.
2: No, I kind of assume, I guess the way I'm thinking of the girls and be like, well, you know, sex is still enjoyable. The yeah. guy is not a complete, you know, duds. But yeah. as soon as we're done, I realize that like, okay, you're not in love with me. We're not trying to date each other. It's, yeah. you know, you had an enjoyable experience. It's done. It's over with. And now I get to leave. Yeah,
1: and I'm okay with that as yeah. long as what is at the root of it is still actual attraction. And yeah. once just the whole you're a
2: good-looking guy, buddy. I'm pretty sure they would be attracted to you. No, well, the no, stories you're that you're the stories that you're thinking of. I'm sure there's some fat, fucking, bald, greasy, just nerd that has no social skills no. that goes in there, and I'm pretty sure the girl's pretty repulsed at that encounter. But I don't think we're going to find too many women that would be repulsed in the sex industry by an experience with you.
1: Well, I don't know. I could I could probably they throw might not you.
2: like being with you just because I've I've seen you at the urinal. <laughs>
0: all right now
2: <laughs> it might make them a little uncomfortable they can't work for the rest of the week <laughs> boy people
1: are people are probably getting a whole new appreciation for our level of closeness like I knew these guys were close but Jesus Christ.
2: well hey if anybody ever takes a leak with me next to the urinal know that I know everybody checks each other out man
1: <laughs> what a breach of urinal etiquette
2: <laughs> what are they gonna do beat me up <laughs> you got Got
1: that going for you. <laughs> Back to my point, though, about uh, Dennis Hoff, which is that when we when we pitch these outlandish, you know, uh, press releases, the girls going to auction off her virginity, uh, co- college loan repayment program, all things that are factually based. I mean, in terms of like, I don't, you may not know what that one's was about. We came up with an idea that uh, uh, for girls who are trying to pay off their student loans. Uh, if you come to work at the, one of the brothels, any amount of money that you make there that you will show us a receipt for putting toward your student loans, Dennis will match it. Wow. Yeah. So let's say you owed, you know, say $50,000 in student loans while you're working there. If you put $10,000 of the money you earn, he will add another 10.
2: That's actually, wow. Yeah. Now here's I the like thing.
1: That. It's an offer that he's comfortable in making. And cynically, if because I can be cynical no one's, for a moment, these really
2: aren't doing that. most
1: of them know. and and even the ones that he hasn't are, lost too much money, huh? Right. No, he hasn't. And 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 by the way, it's a tax deduction uh, if he does pay. It's, it's not education. a loss one way or another. But uh, yeah, there's not a lot of people who who are doing that. So you're saying all
2: those strippers that say they're paying off college are lying. Most of them, they are. Yes. <laughs>
1: um, so they're not doing that. So what? But what I mean by all bringing all this up is that nobody ever follows up we get so much press if you google bunny ranch auctions off virginity has it
2: happened yet where a girl really has gone through with it nope no shit nope really not Mm -mm. once not once is it because the girl falls through or not happy with the money that comes to her typically
1: they're not happy with the money um there's been a couple you put a
2: face value on your virginity Mm -hmm. That's an indication of you as a human being and everything else. I can see if, you know, someone goes, shit, 50 bucks. I mean.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's been a couple of, uh, like, the the first girl that really, uh, uh, you know. Wasn't there some
2: girl famous on the internet for doing that? Like. A million dollars or something in some business matter. Well, or stories like that have come
1: up, but what you got to remember is those are illegal. I mean, th- this this would be the one case. Like you can't put that ad on Craigslist. That's illegal. This prostitution, is, right? This is yeah. This is the one instance where it would be uh, legal. But I'm looking at. I mean, I just Google this, and it's. I mean, dozens and dozens of pages on on this, and the first girl, Natalie Dillon, uh, was the one who got the attention for doing it. But you know, she wanted millions of dollars for this. And there's a girl actually. I'd be impressive if we
2: could make a hundred grand. I would tell the yeah. girl, I mean, you make a hundred grand for your first sexual experience. I mean, yeah. There's
1: there's a there's a girl uh, up there right now named uh, Catherine Stone who is a virgin that has not sold her virginity, but she's anticipating doing it, and that's why she's there. But my point is, we've gotten press off of this several times over with different girls without it actually happening. Now, will it happen one of these days? It might. The first girl couldn't get those multi-million she wanted. The second girl just hasn't heard the right price. But my point is, all of these media outlets, like like I'm looking at this right now. I just Googled it. Uh, Hollywood Reporter. Fox News, Huffington Post, CNET, uh, Daily Mail. I mean, this is but all this coverage for this, and not a one of them will ever report whether or not it actually sells. So that. Is the Trump phenomenon. The idea is that you come out with this major, you know, president was born in Kenya. Was he? Wasn't he? I don't know. Was he?
2: Maybe. Front loading uh, a statement makes sense to me now. You're right. Everybody talks about the ordeal, but then it's like, well, did it actually go through or the aftermath and no one's left there to. And the other thing that you do, and
1: this is another sort of Trump promotional tactic. I mean, this is a con man. This, this guy is a huckster. And so That's what he...
2: good businessman There
1: me. you go. And so what he will do is, for example, I'm going to make a claim about you... That is unfounded and that I need some plausible deniability for in case I eventually get exposed for being wrong. Right. So I'm going to hold a press conference. We're close in the polls. And I'm going to say, listen, you know, uh, Frank Mir. I mean, people are telling me. Uh, that he may have been implicated in a double murder. Was he? I don't know. Maybe not. Who knows? People are saying. They're telling me that's what I'm hearing. So see what I did there? I accused you of a double murder. You got
2: to say it, but didn't have to tie yourself
1: to it. I said, maybe it's not true, but a bunch of people are saying it. Who knows? We'll see. It's all just kind of... I didn't commit to anything, but I made a wild accusation about you. And so I'll just ride that out for a while until eventually something like this happens, and Trump just banks on the fact that after all of that uh, uh, onslaught of publicity that he can just go,
0: eh, mm-hmm.
1: moving on. No. And and that, that's the, that is the virginity auction. That's exactly what's what's happening here. The
2: last note on that. All those girls that we on the last show we were talking to the uh, uh, Matt from 288.
1: Yes, yeah, Matt uh, Slayer, who is our uh, phone booth fighting listener, who uh, did the fund anything option to sit in on the podcast with us, and we'll we'll mention his uh, uh, podcast. I know he's listening. Uh, his 288 podcast that he does with uh, the the porn star uh, uh, Draven. What is her name? Draven Star. Hold on, I'll pull it well, up. Draven when he something. told me
2: that girls coming off the bus doing for scenes for three or $400, yeah. why don't one of those girls, because, I mean, there's really no conclusive test if a girl's a virgin or not. I mean, the whole hymen thing is, you know. Uh,
1: Draven Star, uh, I was correct,
2: yes. And so some of those girls that are 18, 19 years old, why don't they just make a stop at the brothel and claim they're a virgin? Well, bank. 10 grand
1: if, if my understanding is and uh, this will tell you a little bit about my day job that i actually did enough research into uh, i i could i can speak about this knowledgeably is that the idea was that there was going to be a uh, a doctor uh examination so they can i guess they can prove that like A hymen is still intact.
2: Yeah, but girls break their hymens from horseback riding, gymnasts. If you're an athlete, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've heard of those cases where girls don't have hymens naturally. You know, just life is just a membrane that, you know, know, they get into a fight with their sister and she kicks her between the legs. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily always. And then on top of that, I think they have hymen reconstruction.
1: (sighs) Well, see, and that would be, you know what you would do if you were running... Against Dennis Hoff in a political election, and you were taking the Donald Trump approach. You would float the conspiracy theory that when he auctioned off the girl's virginity, that he had actually engaged in some hymen reconstruction, and you would challenge oh, him
2: to present that. the paperwork. Tell the physician to go ahead and sign off on it, and you'll give him a thousand bucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the physician feels like he's It's not like you're saying, hey, I failed an AIDS test. I need you to sit there and say I don't have AIDS. Yeah, no one's at harm. I mean, who you who are you uh, bamboozling some weirdo that thinks that he's nailing a virgin? I mean, you're probably doing the guy a favor that the girl actually does know something, you know, and and won't just sit there and fucking cry into the pillow. And
1: (laughs) then the guy'd be disappointed, probably. Uh, it's 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 a crazy business, but it is something that I just I guess I have experienced firsthand the idea of, you know, claim first and prove it later, you know, and then for anybody who's still around, our politicians
2: aren't held to the same standards as our journalists are. Yeah. I mean, the Washington Post or, you know, can't run an article that, well, we heard that, you know, Donald Trump runs a, uh, a gay uh, brothel mm-hmm. overseas in the Philippines. They can't just sit there and go, well, we have sources that say. It's like, if you're going to come out with that article, you better have someone cited. You know what? Have you
1: ever watched uh, All the President's Men with Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman? No, it's a good movie. You should watch this movie. So it is the true story of Watergate you know, that brought down the Nixon presidency. Right. And uh, the, the, Nixon, uh, the, the Watergate scandal was broken by the Washington Post. Two reporters, uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. And it, they really kind of happened on it by accident. The movie tells you the whole story. Is it true but, that
2: this all happened over a, a piece of tape? Well, what it— Didn't they tape a door and someone it, found the tape? Is that what happened? Uh,
1: yes. Yeah, that was a big part of it. Basically, I don't know. I
2: just remember that one detail someone right. telling me that it was a piece of duct tape caught everybody. I'm like, what? Like, oh, they tried to tape the door.
1: So it wouldn't lock behind them. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so what happened was Nixon, because of his paranoia— uh, was facing a re election that he was easily going to win. And Hinchman uh, h- broke into the Democratic National Headquarters inside the Watergate building to go through their files, really, when they didn't even need to. It'd be like you being a 10 to 1 favorite in a fight and feeling like you needed to put a mole in that other guy's camp. And to, man, take no chances. <laughs> you know?
2: Or like but, how the Russians went ahead and invaded the DNC's uh, computer base.
1: Well, this this election may be a lot closer than uh, what happened in uh, in seventy <laughs> two. I fear, but I mean
2: the same thing about invading the uh, opposition's information. Well, yes, but but uh, but
1: with Watergate and the Washington Post, and this gets back to the journalism aspect of it. Even though they had an informant, even though they had the the evidence that they had, the mounting evidence, Ben Bradley, who was the publisher of the paper, would not allow them. To go to print unless they had they had to confirm with three independent sources, and that used to be the standard of journalism now it's not I mean now it's kind of like sources yeah, I mean now you're hearing stuff reported from one anonymous source way before it's confirmed with and it may never be confirmed with three independent sources that used to be the standard in journalism, and it's not really anymore,
2: huh. You know, because of that, the, the fact that everybody thinks that information flows so much freer, mm-hmm. the uh, backlash that I see—that if I were to work in media, it seems like I would release information on my uh, my guy. Let's say I was running your you're running for politics, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm your uh, you know head campaign manager. I would all the time release incredible stories about you, you know, sneaking out through different areas, just so that there's always that information, and, and then it's be, du- be dunked later, uh, debunked later on. Just so in case something real ever showed up on the table, be like, well, you know, this is the same thing as him running the brothel in the Philippines. You know, this isn't true. And obviously after we give this due diligence, it'll be misproven just like, you know, we've misproven 15 other incredible stories that have occurred on my, uh, my candidate. Mm hmm. Yeah, it, because information flows so much. It seems like it's, you know, make up enough rumors. It's almost like we're fighting and I just like, OK, well, which one's the real punch? I'm like, well, if I throw yep. enough, you're not, you know, eventually something's going to slip through.
1: Well, and that gets into the buying into conspiracy theories wholesale. That's the trap that you fall into. The, the trap of everything is a conspiracy theory. Everything yeah. is not as it seems. Everything has a sinister backstory to it. And uh, and not just some things. Uh, all right, Frank, before we move on to fight talk, I got a text, uh, I'm going to sort of, uh, produce on the air here. I got a text from John Popper of Blues Traveler, who, uh, Blues Traveler is coming to Las Vegas on Thursday. You and I are going to go to the show and, uh, these are, uh, these are old friends of mine. And, uh, I, as I've told you, John Popper, the harmonica player in Blues Traveler, uh, is maybe the only person I know who's a bigger gun enthusiast than you, but I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like if you told me one chick weighs 260 and the other one's an even 300, okay. I'm time but to I'm not sure who's who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I asked him if uh, he wanted to uh, come on the show with us. Uh, because I think uh, hearing the two of you talk about your respective arsenals would make some great radio. By the way, I will tell you this: he has a Civil War cannon. That's um, pretty impressive, or a Confederate. Uh, Confederate, uh, civ- no, Civil War, right? Civil War, well, cannon. Yeah, Confederate yeah. and Civil right, War are right. the same thing, right? Yeah, he's got that going for him. Uh, all right, let's see here. He says um, to my invitation, maybe you'll know what some of this means. As long as I don't need to disclose specific number of ordnance I may or may not have (laughs) or where it may or may not be placed at this time and how much ammo I specifically have, I think it would be lovely. Uh, I'll let you know when we're headed to Vegas, I even got cash to buy a new piece. Uh, I'm actually looking for the 44 mag L-frame revolver, with a slim 5-shot cylinder. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh is that something you can get yeah. at Walmart? No. It's not, okay? Uh do you, do you know where we would come by one of could those? We
2: try to, but when you get that specific on a firearm, typically you have to order them. So you go down to uh the gun store, you can do it uh-huh. online, but whenever I've ordered something that's just not in the uh display case, okay. you know, they only carry so many things on uh, Yeah. Uh, uh in stock. I see. Uh, you go ahead, and they put an order. They have a federal firearm license. Yeah. They, they order it from the uh, the company. And, okay. You know, he said – Smith and & Wesson and whatnot. Would.
1: Okay. He said if there's one nearby, he would get it shipped. He lives in Washington State. I'd get it shipped to Washington, and then <laughs> chop that barrel down to 3.5 and get AM action job on it. Do you know what that is? Yeah, this
2: means it's where he pulls the trigger, because a lot of revolvers, that one in particular, are double action. So every time you go to pull the trigger, it it could be a little bit heavier of a trigger pull. So a lot of guys on the revolvers get action jobs, Uh which make it to where now, instead of like, um, um, I don't know the exact numbers, but I have a six-pound pull on my trigger. You can make it towards two and a half pounds, and so much easier and and smoother of firing.
1: See, this is working already, and all he's doing is texting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. See see what it would be like when you do it? I have an action job on one of my revolvers. Uh I have a three forty PD. Okay. Uh, It's a 357. I only carry plus P rounds in it, but it's a ultralight uh, scandium uh, cylinder. Uh It's the one I've actually showed you. You've held. It's extremely light. Uh It's the one gun that even if I have other guns on me, I always have that one on me. Yeah, you know, it's easy to put in your gym shorts. Doesn't pull my pants down.
0: Uh huh.
2: Uh, And so.
1: um, Oh, this will be great. Never will I be more irrelevant to a conversation than uh, when I get the two of you. But that one, the trigger
2: pull was pretty rough when I first got to it. Yeah. And so, an action job on that one. uh, It's ninety bucks and. Okay. It pulls so much smoother and quicker.
1: Now, what about this? He continues. Uh, maybe uh, get bulldog grips and a nice bluing, or maybe some
2: exotic auto. Well, you can actually go ahead and send the gun down, and people can engrave it. Uh huh. Not only, I mean, bluing, it just, you know, changes to where if it's, you know less shine, you know, and, uh, you know, it keeps, you know, more rust resistant, you know, different things you can put it as far as finishes on the firearms. Oh yeah. But, uh, that's something I've always wanted to do. Here's something. Have you ever seen the movie, uh, Romeo and Juliet, the one that Leonardo DiCaprio did? No. It's kind of a real cool way They, the dialogue is completely the, you know, uh, Romeo and Juliet, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Shakespeare type of, uh, uh, of talk, but then they do it, you know, when the guy pulls out his sword, he's like, they're pulling out handguns. Yeah. And they're all very beautifully engraved, and uh, uh, and it's really cool. And I've always in a fantasy of mine when, you know, <laughs> once other things of, of, of much uh, uh, steeper requirement are fulfilled in my life, kids' yep. uh, tuitions and whatnot, I'm like, man, I would really love to have one of my guns, you know, uh, uh, engraved that way. Okay. So would you... Very stylistic design. Yeah. Would you be tempted if there was uh
1: you know, if there was a break-in or... Home invasion, or you know, some some type of uh, maybe public situation that you know you you were gonna have to to be the good guy in. If you did have that firearm on you, would you be tempted to just pause for one extra beat to allow the assailant to admire the bluing? <laughs> you know, just let make sure it catches the light just so before you no. gun them down.
2: Actually, in all reality, the guns that I use that I know that might. Uh, be in a situation to be in a, a like I have uh, some very nice 1911s, a, a Kimber custom, uh, uh, for example. That, Is that know, the year? 19 no, no, What does that mean? That's the make and model. Actually, oh, okay. they did you know Browning you know came out in the World War uh, uh-huh. One era. You know uh, before that they they came out with the 1911 was a type of uh, handgun that shot a 45 uh, caliber. Yeah, and um, I have a couple that I've you know. Uh, you know done upgrades too. that you know not crazy expensive but, you know it's two thousand dollars between buying the gun and, and what i've done to it yeah and uh i wouldn't really carry it as an everyday carry for that reason that you know i have a glock for example that i use as my everyday carry and uh that way if you know it cost me you know 500 600 bucks i don't mm-hmm. remember now when i uh, the glock cost me but if i um uh, shoot somebody with that handgun Um, I'm gonna have to have the gun. The handgun's gonna be taken from me. You Mm -hmm. know, it's just part Mm -hmm. of the judicial system. They're gonna, you know, put into evidence, and I don't know when I'm getting that gun back. And Uh I've heard some horror stories of you know it being (laughs) years. Yeah. And so, uh, you have a really beautiful handgun that you really like. It's Mm -hmm. probably not in your best interest to use that to go ahead and shoot somebody. Okay,
1: let me ask you the flip side of that question then. If uh, you're about to gun down the the assailant who's broken into your home. And in your haste, you reach for the 1911 bluing bulldog and you've got it in your hand and you realize you're about to use that one. Do you try to determine if you've got that one extra beat to reach for the everyday (laughs) gun switch? (laughs) Hold on. I'm about to kill you.
2: Hold on a second here. Yeah. That's why a lot of the guns in my house, though, for self-defense purposes, um, a handgun, you know, is actually limited. I mean, you think about it, the the feet per second that a handgun round travels, Mm -hmm. they're not ideal for killing people. They really aren't. I Mm -hmm. mean, can they kill somebody? Yes. But, uh, you know, uh, people for a reason, when they go overseas, for example, if you're an operator, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll have a a sidearm as a backup, but no one's going in through a building primarily with a handgun. Mm -hmm. Uh, It only holds so many rounds. The bolts are only so fast. Um, You're going to have a a long gun. You know, you're going to use an AR platform or you can use a Soviet block, you know, an AK type of system. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because that's actually better. The reason why we have handguns is because they're easier to conceal and carry. Mm -hmm. Um, I would look, you know, a little funny walking around the strip with an AR 15 strapped to my back. Yeah. But, uh, in your home, that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So if someone broke into my house, I can assure them they're not going to be shot with a handgun.
1: Well, I knew I was onto something, uh, when I thought of the idea of putting you two guys together. So we'll, uh, we'll hook up with John from, blues traveler on uh thursday and uh record all this uh gun chatter for you it sounds like he wants to go gun shopping so do yeah. we have the good places to go to? Yeah, we there's know a couple different
2: ranges here that have a lot of stuff that we can okay. go in there and i just found that um unless it's the new hot item mm-hmm. sometimes when you're looking especially revolvers i have mm-hmm. a hard time i'm actually a big fan of revolvers for self-defense mm-hmm. um Statistically, you know if you fire two rounds off and you 're still in a gunfight, your chances of survival have probably dropped yeah. diminished very greatly, and so uh placing rounds is more important than having a bunch of rounds um, and uh, you know I train and even I do a lot of dry firing at home. I think you 've seen me a couple of times pulling and drawing, and you know and I, and I could practice I have a little app on my phone that it 'll beep off and it'll tell me okay, type one malfunction type three malfunction and I'll sit there and I have my rubber bullets and I, I go through them and I can practice and I, at least once a month I'll, I'll screw around with it and you know, and I give myself some, you know, reminder training, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes if I'm really just on a kick, I'll go a whole week where every day I'm training for about 45 minutes in the backyard. But that being said, it takes training, you know, um, malfunctions can occur, you know, things happen, uh, in real life where it's still a machine, you know? Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm such a big fan of revolvers is, uh, they don't jam. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, yes, you're limited on rounds, but you know uh, they're they're accurate. They're uh, easy to maintain. Uh, all my other. Uh uh, 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 pistols. I have to rotate the uh, magazines, which I've had friends tell me that you know with the Glock, you don't have to do that. But I only keep my magazine loaded probably for about two weeks to a month, and then I unload that magazine, and I reload up a new one, and insert that inside the, uh, the, the, the firearm. So that way the spring is, in, is under constant tension, which could lead to malfunctions.
1: And see, Revolver, to me, is a Beatles album, so I've got some catching up to do here. You know
2: when I talk about pistol, revolver, all the difference?
1: Is the Revolver where it's got like the roll the little chamber I yeah, think like a cowboy
2: like, vroom, right yeah the cha- you're right i can roll like i can open it up if i was to play russian roulette i'd yeah, play it you'd with need the a revolver, revolver. Okay. Yeah, you you could try to play it with a <laughs> <laughs> pistol but make sure you don't go first
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well uh okay cool so we'll do now are you familiar with the music see this is one thing that uh, I is is interesting in talking to you because I heard you say something one time that stunned me. I think you said. I think I might have heard you say this when we went to see Boys to Men together. <laughs> I think you said something along the lines of you didn't think you had owned a CD until you and Jennifer got together. Did you say something along those lines? I did. I actually
2: went back in my memory and I did have one CD. Uh huh. I owned the uh, Metallica Black.
1: Yep, Black Album. I had that one. Okay. I had one. So you don't have a story of, like, as a kid, like what your first record was when you went out and got it, nothing like that? No,
2: it's funny because Jennifer's much more like you as far as songs. She'll hear a song on the radio, Mm -hmm. and it it, it, uh, will elicit an emotional response to a memory. I remember, you know, this is the song, this song, that, and I'm like, shit, man, I I can't tell you that I – I'm Mm -hmm. just I like music when it's on you know like now in my car because of the XM stuff Mm -hmm. I've kept it on the Bluegrass channel Uh, ah turned you
1: on to the Bluegrass Cowboy Cerrone did not buy I could tell from the look in his eyes he did not believe me I said this to him like three weeks ago whenever last time was I saw him I said we get because we're 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 talking about getting together and doing a swap cast with him him and his party cast that he's been doing although he's a little inconsistent with the party cast we gotta we gotta get him uh, inspired on this podcast stuff because Cowboy Cerrone and podcasting is a great. idea. That's a marriage made in heaven. Uh, but I saw him and I said, "Yeah, we want to get together. We want to do the swap cast. And I said, "I got a because Cowboy and I have a common affinity for old school country music." Right. And I said, "Yeah, I got I got Frank listening to the Bluegrass Channel uh, in his uh, on his Sirius XM radio now." I said he 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 put it on his preset, and he didn't he didn't say bullshit, but he gave me a look like, "Huh?" I'm like, "Yeah."
2: Yeah, yeah, it's good music. I like it, it especially the uh, you know when there's history behind things. That's right. But it's but I mean, if right now you told me and uh, you know uh, if we were on you know the, the uh, name a bluegrass song, I'd have to yeah. phone a friend. I sure. don't know. Call me. Uh, you know, in and, and the car, Jennifer, like I said, loves music and yeah. she goes different. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm not that guy. I don't know. I, I, don't, I just never had anything that uh, mm-hmm. uh you know everybody has their shtick. I guess and yeah. my, you know I like movies and I like music. I just don't specifically follow. And so,
1: do you know? Because because before, uh, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm talking about uh, John from uh, Blues Traveler here, but you've already met one of my other friends, in yeah. the band, Chan Kinsley, the guitar player in Blues Traveler. Do you know their music?
2: No. In fact, the only reason uh, when you first said Blues Brother, I thought you were talking about that movie that
1: Blues Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which which they were in? They were in the second Blues Brothers movie.
2: Yeah, too funny, right? That, yeah. But, but no, if right now. You played their songs. I yeah. couldn't tell you, and it's not obviously they're popular. I, I might have listened to their music, but I mean, uh, yeah. If, if the band members from Metallica, who I owned a CD, were sitting uh-huh. here right now, uh-huh. I couldn't tell you who they were and I couldn't tell you their names. Yeah, I would listen to the music and go, "Hey, that's a cool song." Yeah, but uh, i have never been that guy to you know follow it up and. Oh this is fascinating to me all right
1: um all right so let me i'm gonna pull up a uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna see if you've heard of either one of their biggest hits so their right, biggest hit is called run around okay, So cue it. this up see if you've uh, heard this all right I'm gonna play this as soon as the uh as soon as we get through the ad on youtube so we'll give it just a second here this was uh uh this was what really launched them uh, at the ripe old age of I think the average age in the band was about twenty two at the time, and so my band Killbilly, was their uh, opening act on part of this tour that's actually how we all uh, how we all met back then all right, so here we go. Let's see if you've heard this.
2: What genre of music is this uh
1: I would call it, uh, I would call it kind of, I mean, pop music. Oh, yeah,
2: I've heard this. Yeah. Why did I think there was a black guy that sung the song?
1: Yeah. So that's uh, John on harmonica and vocals and Chan on the guitar. And the concept of this video that we're watching is that they weren't a very physically appealing band. So that the band that 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 everybody saw was like a very uh, uh, hip-looking band, and then the actual guys in Blues Traveler are playing behind a curtain, which they'll uh, cut to here in a second. There So you've heard this. Oh yeah, I've heard the song. So this was their it's first the hit. Yep. So then we'll uh, we'll cue up Hook, which was the uh, follow up to uh, to this track off the same album. All right. Let's see here.
2: I've heard the song. Oh, shit, these guys are a big deal. These are, like, very big-time popular songs. Who do you think I hang out with? A bunch (laughs) of scrubs? (laughs) Man, that guy John has a good voice.
1: The interesting thing about John is he is widely regarded as the greatest living harmonica player in the world right now. And he's got a great voice. But he's such a great harmonica player that a lot of times his voice kind of goes underappreciated. And uh, actually, uh, Six Degrees of Separation, Adam Carolla said something very funny about that. Um, I went with... uh, There's Chan right there. Yeah!
2: Uh, Shit, we ate sushi with the guy.
1: (laughs) No clue. We we went to uh, Adam Carolla's house because he had John and Chan playing an acoustic set. At a party at his house for a charity fundraiser, so we go and Chan and uh, Adam Carolla gets up on stage in his backyard to introduce John and Chan. Right, and he said, "This is the analogy he draws to uh, John's voice." He goes, "You know," he goes, "I love Blues Traveler so much." This is Adam Carolla talking now, and he goes, uh, "He goes, the thing is." He's the world's greatest harmonica player, so everybody focuses on that, and they don't give him credit on the voice. And he, Adam, Adam's analogy is he goes, you know, it's kind of like having the world's biggest cock and the second biggest pair of balls. He's like, no appreciation for the balls. The cock is literally overshadowing the balls. And Chan... <laughs> I love a penis uh, joke. (laughs) And Chan, right on cue, looks in the front row where Ron Jeremy happens to be sitting and goes, you know what he's talking about, right, Ron? (laughs) (laughs) So this is
2: interesting. But you're right, though. I've heard these songs so many times on the radio, and I turn it up. I like this music. But I never realized that that voice came out of that guy.
0: Yeah.
1: It's interesting, too, because every time you've heard. See, listen to the harmonica solo.
2: That's a really cool instrument.
1: Well, it's an interesting one to master, too, because it's one that uh, has has been around for a long time, but nobody ever really tried to reinvent it the way that he did. Like, a lot of people refer to him as the Jimi Hendrix of the harmonica. Because the first time I heard it, even before I knew those guys, uh, I I remember I was in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, sitting on the edge of the stage at a club called The Bottleneck at a sound check for, for my own band, and their first song, which was a song called But Anyway, off the record before this one, came over the speakers. And we didn't know the guys, nothing, right? I hadn't met any of them. But we, everybody in my band looked at each other, and we said, is that a harmonica? Like, it was so foreign, the way that he was playing it. It sounds like a harmonica, but nobody plays a harmonica like that. So what is that noise? Like, that's how... That's how revolutionary he was with the instrument. He played an instrument that everybody's heard, but in a way that you weren't even sure if it was a harmonica anymore, what he was and doing Jimmy to it. And Hendrix
2: did that with the guitar?
1: Yes, without a doubt, Jimi Hendrix did that with Shut the up. guitar. And, yeah.
2: I, and I have a lot, actually have downloaded a lot of uh, Jimi Hendrix songs, Yeah. because uh, actually one of them was one I wanted to come out to, but then uh, at the time, uh, different managers were like, nah, come out to this song, come out to that mm-hmm. song.
1: Which uh, which Hendrix song? Uh, do you remember? The one where he
2: you know chops the mountain down, you know, with his hands and slap it. Uh, was it a uh, Voodoo, oh, Voodoo Child? Oh, Voodoo Child. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That would be a good one. That's a good come-out song. That would right? be a great one.
2: All right. So, well, now I have you on my side.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Where was I back then? So uh, here's some interesting Jimi Hendrix uh, trivia for you.
2: What did he do differently with the guitar? What, is they, it too technical? I mean, is there a way well, to I mean, someone like me who's an idiot that doesn't understand the first thing about a guitar? No,
1: I mean, there's a lot you could say about it. You know, like um, Jimi Hendrix was the uh, like, for example, Jimi Hendrix before he was Jimi Hendrix was um, was known was uh, went by the name Jimmy James. And he was the guitar player in Ike Turner's band. If you know Ike Turner from being yeah. married to Tina Turner, and I actually before- I couldn't
2: tell you any of his music, no. but I know that he beat the shit out. You know, that I saw happened. the movie.
1: Yes, uh, I interviewed Ike Turner once and and talked to him about Jimi Hendrix playing. That's a in woman the band. that's actually
2: aged pretty well. Yes, she has. I was pretty impressed. I, mean, I was a video of her one time. I think even in her sixties, performing yeah. on stage. Yeah, and I was like, geez, man. Yeah, that girl's legs are still like pretty incredible.
1: And, and Ike Turner did not age well. He just shriveled up and died. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But uh, but that was a lot of hard living on his part too. But he, um, you know, he described getting Jimi Hendrix in his band. I mean, to answer your question, this may be the best way to describe as the way he described it, because he said, you know, I, because he kicked Jimi Hendrix out of the band, he fired him from his band. And I was like, hey, God, I, you, you know, fire like, Jimmy exactly. Hendrix? exactly. And he goes, you know, he goes. We had an idea back then of what a guitar player was, you know, a, a, a rhythmic player and a complimentary player, but not a, a, a focal point of the band with all of his wild soloing. And he said, with Jimmy, by the t-, I'd point to him for a solo, and the way that I put it, by the time he got done mashing on all those pedals, the solo was over. So Jimi Hendrix is bringing in effects pedals. He's becoming the fo- he's making the guitar the focal point of the what up to that point the focal
2: point had been. I didn't been, realize it was pedals when it came to guitars.
1: Yeah, so you've got like uh, like uh, you ever heard the term wah wah pedal. In fact, uh, Voodoo Child is a perfect example of that. Huh? So see so, here,
2: I'm learning something about something I already like.
1: That's yeah, it. yeah. So like uh, if I if I pull that song up, I mean it starts out with the. Uh, with the uh, the wah wah pedal, so um, let's uh, let's give it a listen here. <sighs> Okay, so all of that is he's he's playing the strings on his guitar, but he has a pedal called a wah-wah pedal that he's operating if you look at my right foot, he's operating like an accelerator on a car. It's like a gas pedal. Mm-hmm. So it's fluctuating and he's he's moving the pedal in in uh, basically in concert to bending the notes that he's playing and that's what's giving it that sound. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. So he was known for things like that. I mean there was no he was maybe he was maybe he was kind of the first I think what you would call a guitar hero because even though guys came along like Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, those guys were already on the I know scene. Eric Clapton, yeah. That name. yeah, those guys were already on the scene back then. Um, it wasn't until Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton coming along with Cream where there was like a a power trio, where there was like a three-piece where the guitar player was the focal point of it. And that was the case, you know, Jimmy just had a backing band of two. He had a bass player and a drummer and that was it. Uh, same thing with Eric Clapton and, and, uh, Cream, bass Mm -hmm. player, drummer, three-piece. So that's really, uh, what Hendrix did to, to revolutionize the approach to guitar Uh, And then a lot of other people, you know, he he spawned from, you know, there was it's like, uh, you know, B.C. and A.D. in the Bible, basically. I mean, there was, you know, before Jimi Hendrix and then there was after in terms of people's approach to guitar playing. Cool. So uh, here is uh, here's my interesting connection to Jimi Hendrix trivia. Um, I was born on September 18th. 1970 you mentioned it was my birthday yesterday Jimi hendrix died on september 18th 1970 and he died 43 minutes before i was born wow on so the exact same everybody day Everybody wants to believe
2: in reincarnation in right the or.
1: exact same year yeah I'm, I'm i'm nowhere near that that caliber of guitar player but i've always been fascinated by the fact that that happened almost at the exact time that i was born and also the fact that my mother has no recollection of that. Like, that bothers me. <laughs> no, she was dealing
2: that, with some stuff. It,
1: that's, what, that's her excuse, but to me, it punctuates my parents' shitty taste in music. <laughs> because they, I mean, boy, you want to talk about people who needed uh, a learning curve when it came to uh, good music that they were living in the time. Well, I got of, you
2: and Jen now, so.
1: That's right. That's right. So there's some, uh, boy, we've been all over the place on this show, and we haven't even talked fights yet. That's okay. It's what we do. Uh. You know what? It's always a show like this that I upload and I think, basically I'm like, well, here you go. Folks, (laughs) Folks, <laughs> do with this what you will. But honestly, sometime, I think sometimes these are our most popular. Remember that three-hour episode when you were on medication or something, whatever was going on with that? <laughs> people love that. They are like, oh, my God, I didn't want that to end, whatever was going on there.
2: All right. Let's talk about what's didn't going on. Didn't people ask? They're like, were you drunk? Yeah, you... <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think I was. Was it what, <laughs>
2: post one of my surgeries? Something was happening. Something was going on. <laughs> well, it was on my then. back injury. I took a pain pill. Yeah.
1: So let's talk about uh let's talk about uh this kind of strange situation with ally akenta uh number thirteen ranked i believe at the moment uh lightweight in the u f c former uh, ultimate fighter alum a guy who was supposed to fight on the big u f c two o five card coming up at Madison square garden he was gonna fight Tiago Alves. He pulled out of that fight, and, uh, you know, we're used to hearing that that's for injury reasons. He's uh, revealed to, uh, he talked to uh, Ariel Helwani, uh today, I guess it was today on his show, Monday as we tape, that uh, he pulled out of it for financial reasons. So he's been injured for 17 months. He's in the midst of a, a current contract, I believe it was a four-fight deal that he signed, and he fought one of the fights on that four-fight deal. I think the last fight that he fought, which was uh, against uh, Jorge Masvidal, he won the controversial split decision in April of uh, 2015. So what happens in the interim is the Reebok deal comes along. So when he signed his deal, that four-fight deal, the Reebok thing did not exist. Fights one fight, gets injured, comes back, still has three fights to go on the deal. Now Reebok is in the mix, which means he's not wearing uh, sponsor patches on his shorts and things like that. And he says that that has totally changed the financial equation for him. uh, And that if he doesn't get more money from the UFC, if he basically does not have the opportunity to renegotiate his contract, that he doesn't know... If he can continue to fight, uh, this is what he told uh, Ariel Hawane. Uh He said, quote, there's a lot of things that change since I signed the contract. And for me to go in there and risk my health, risk everything that you risk when you go into a cage fight, I can't do it. We've got to ask for more money. Maybe we can negotiate something. My manager told me there's probably not a good chance of that happening. So I said, you know what? I can't do it. Financially, I can't fight for that purse. Alia Quinta is 29 years old. He's currently ranked number 13. So, you know, he's in the prime of his career. Uh, but he detailed uh, to Helwani the fact that uh, between paying for surgeries and not being able to fight and the Reebok deal and some of that, that he actually had taken a full time job as a real estate agent. Which, by the way, uh, quick side note: I have a hard time imagining Ally Kenta as a real estate agent. <laughs> Imagine him showing me a home. Uh, I mean, he seems like a, a nice enough guy, but he can al- He also seems very um, I just remember the time he was pissed for-
2: off and I was flipping off the crowd. That's
1: yeah. what I was uh, thinking. That, that's, what, that's how I imagine him reacting to me when I tell him I'm going to have to think about it. I'm not ready to <laughs> sign the... Uh, maybe that's why he's such a good salesman. <laughs> maybe that is. Yeah, exactly. Um, he talks about, for example, the surgery uh, that he had to have. Uh, he said that it was a $60,000 surgery. That the UFC initially offered to cover $15,000 of that, uh, not including the uh, post-surgery physical therapy, but that the UFC ultimately paid the full cost of the procedure. Um, However, during that period of time was when he had to go get the full-time job for his rehab. And here's one more quote. He said, "Um, that experience just changed my outlook on everything. God forbid I take this fight, $26,000, I win, I lose, whatever happens. Say I get hurt somehow, I got nothing. I'd have to take time off from my clients. I'd have to take time off from the real estate that I'm learning. I kind of got myself in a groove uh, to stop that, to take a fight when I could be risking everything. It's just not worth it for the amount of money that they're going to pay me. So there's the reality of a guy who's just barely outside of the top ten, that is maybe thinking that he's got a brighter future in real estate yep. than he does financially fighting in the UFC.
2: You know, something that when Robert uh, drives, it was on our show last week, we were at EBI. He said something that when he first said it, my knee-jerk reaction was like, that's not true. But then as uh-huh. Robert very intelligently laid out his argument that, you know, a black belt in jujitsu makes more money than uh, mid-level Oh yeah, fighter. When he, yeah, yeah. And then I, I thought about it, that, yeah. and now I travel all the time, and yeah. I see the money that you can make by doing seminars, and you know, if you do private lessons throughout the week, you easily, if you're a uh, a, a known commodity, and people are interested in learning from you, making a $100, 150000 dollars a year is not far fetched at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's very reasonable if you're an accomplished mixed martial artist. Uh, and there's going to be a chasm now, I think, in our world of MMA where there's guys that are not making that in the ring. They can make it outside the ring by traveling and by running their own facilities and doing private lessons. And uh, because now the popularity of the sport, there's so many people training and competing that want this knowledge that if you're not the John Joneses and, and, and Conor McGregor of the world It makes more sense to teach, makes more sense to travel. And I think that a lot of guys are going to start going that route. But, you know, one solution to the problem that that I've always been kind of open about with people, and I wish other people were more open about it. In fact, I do it even now and I make appearances. If I talk, and I've called Chael up and talked to him about maybe me doing, you know, commentating over here. And I told him exactly, like, what this company is going to pay me. And here he's a fellow competitor in the commentating, doing color commentating world. Mm -hmm. I don't see any advantage from behind Chael not knowing what I get paid by that company. Right. And I don't see no disadvantage. I see no advantage in him hiding what he makes. Yeah. I think that we need to really, you know, people talk about having a union and I don't know, really the ups and downs, if that's ever going to occur and what would happen. But I do know that fighters in general, being more vocal and open about what they're getting paid, makes it easier for the rest of us to go up and negotiate. I mean, honestly, when I sit down in the office of a, of a promotion and I want to ask for a certain number... What am I basing that off of? But if I can sit there and go, hey, I'm ranked number four, and this guy is ranked three and two, and he's making this, guy ranked five and six is making this, the guy who has 10 fights is making this, I have eight fights, you know, you can bring out numbers and sit there and go, well, he made this, I made that, I know now what to ask for. But I think that the only people that it benefits by keeping our mouth shut and having this culture of, you don't talk about money, I'm like, well, why not? Why not in every avenue of the world? Do we not talk about what we make? Yeah. You know, if you and I right now, we do a podcast, you know, we do. I like to ask the other podcasts, like, hey, when you go and you, you know, if, uh, you know, uh, big Blade, you know, gives you a sponsorship, what are they giving you? Mm-hmm. So that way when we ask a competitor or someone comparable in that industry, it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, uh. Uh, Burt
1: Kreiser was very I was going to say, he was very helpful. Super helpful. Yeah, in that. And
2: that's when, it, like, you know, like those are instances of my life where I'm sitting there going, well, shit, Bert is much more farther along the line and he's explaining what he's making per show, what he asks for.
0: Yeah.
2: Now I don't feel like we're just pissing in the wind because then when people sit there and go, well, because they always do that to you. Anytime you go out for negotiation, like, well, What do you think? Because they want to see where your brain is. Yeah. And if you don't know, you're just kind of just throwing numbers. Then they laugh. It's like, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. I now know what to ask for because I know what other people in the same kind of situation, and I realize that some guys will make a little bit more and a little bit less, even with the same records or the same positioning because of their popularity and, you know, their social media, whatever. But those numbers can be sustained where we can sit there and go, well, I have, you know, 300,000 followers on Twitter or, you know, 150,000 likes on my Facebook page, and this guy has the same amount and he's making that. Why am I not making that? So then I think that you actually make an intelligent statement to where the people Powers that be go, well. We can't pay you that because of. But right now, they eliminate that conversation by you not knowing what anybody else is making. Yeah, so, no. Uh, the man counts
1: on the divide and conquer approach. He he counts on keeping like-minded, comparable entities in the dark when it comes to comparing uh, yeah. numbers. You know, and I wish
2: to you know. Right now, I swear, if someone put up a website. And they could put our names on there. And I, I know that everybody has their show bonuses yeah. posted, but you know, there's all those backroom, backroom bonuses that people put up there. Like, oh, I don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Why not? Mm-hmm. Let me go ahead and post on there what I made. Yeah. So you can look at it and go, well, shit, Mir made that much for that fight. How come I didn't get? I, I, I choked the guy out in 30 seconds. He choked yeah. him out in 45. Yeah. Like, why don't I get paid that? Why did I only get paid a tenth of what he made?
1: Well, I've and I, I've had you know major sport uh, agents, I, I should say, who represent athletes and you know in in the major sports, football, baseball, basketball, et cetera, tell me. That that's how it works for them is what they will do is now if it's if it's going to be an unprecedented contract. OK, so if you're the LeBron James or whoever, then OK, maybe that's different because you're trying well, to break those new guys ground are or whatever the, Right. Uh, but know, what they'll do is
2: like you couldn't use Conor McGregor as an example. Right. Exactly. But, but I, not. I mean, there's 500 plus contracts in the UFC. Right. He's one. Right. So, I mean, OK, so he is an outlier. There's outliers in everything. Yeah. So I can't use him as an example, but I can use John Jones as an example. Right. Daniel Cormier is an example. You can go down the line. What does Chris Weidman make? He's the champ. This you know, yeah. you know, uh, you know, we can go through and and use, you know, some kind of so we at least have a basis of what you're asking for. And that's how those guys
1: have told me they do it. They say what they'll do is if you're the, you know, uh, uh, if you're one of the best, let's say um you know linebackers in the NFL okay but you're you're in a group of eight different names let's say that any team would be happy to have right and they're going to look at it and they're going to go okay well linebacker number one he had the most sacks with this number but uh you know linebacker number four had this number of sacks and you fall in at number three like everything they they approximate everything so right. it's like they come in with a mathematical formula looking at what those people made and go but you okay, can do that mathematical equation right here.
2: If you didn't know what they were making. Right? Exactly. And yeah. that's essentially what we have in MMA. It's still now I'll sit there and guys don't want to talk about what they make. And I kind of shake my head going, why don't you just tell me what they're paying you so I know what to ask for? Yeah. I'll tell you what I'm making. Even if I'm making more, I don't, I don't know. It's like, well, someone might hate you. I'm like, not really. I don't think anybody's going to hate you when they find out you made more money than they did. Yeah. They're just now realizing that they deserve more. And now yeah. they have some grounds to stand upon when they go up for the negotiation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's it makes a lot of sense for the guys to do, and I think uh, it's just a lot of times that, and not just in sport. I mean, I used to think that about, I've thought that about radio too over the years, and of course, you just said it about podcasting, stand up, same way. Pretty much anything where uh, a lot of people who are basically independent contractors have to negotiate with one central promoter. Uh, they're counting on you not comparing notes, and it's always in your best interest to do exactly that. Yeah, I mean,
2: that. the USC is good about that. I mean, they're very well, they're good about being on their side, of right? Yeah, not disclosing numbers, not talking mm-hmm. about what they make because at the end of the day, you don't know what their money is. It's hard to go ahead and you know. And I know people sit there and have the rationale, and I've heard it before like, don't worry about your money, just worry about you know, don't worry about my money, worry about yours. Uh-huh. And that's all fine and dandy, but that'd be like right now if I go and I fly out of town and I go to do a seminar, let's say the guy gives me a thousand bucks. I'm fine with that, right? You know, good money, a thousand dollars for two hours. Most people would be content with that. You find out that the gym made fifteen hundred dollars. Okay, no problem. Now what if I told you the gym made twenty grand off of you?
1: Now we have a problem.
2: Well, hey, don't worry about my money. You still got your thousand bucks.
1: Yeah, but I think at that point you're just being irresponsible on exactly. your own. Exactly.
2: And that's the part yeah. that I think that just infuriates me with like, Well, how much money are you making off of me? Yeah. Like it, I, I think people are entitled to that knowledge. And like, hey,
1: how about how about the flip side of it? Let me let me give you the benefit of the doubt and say that you also don't want to price yourself out. Well, exactly. If I go
2: to a gym and yeah. I'm like, they give me a thousand dollars, and I found out that they only made eight. They took a two hundred bath by me being there. Well. Yeah. You know shit, you know what? Maybe I come out next month again guys and I'll only do it for 6. Yeah, because let me help you right. cuz then there's that that camaraderie like, well, you know, it takes both of us. Like the UFC, I need, totally. you know, or Bellator or World Series of Fighting. I mean, for a fighter to have a platform to fight on, he needs a promotion. But for promotion to have fights, they need fighters. It's really not, we're bigger than you. It's like, no, actually, we all kind of need each other, man. (laughs) Go ahead, Dana, go ahead and put on a pair of gloves and you walk out in the octagon and see how many people want to watch you fight and get choked out in 30 seconds. You know, we all have to kind of beat in it together.
1: Yeah. And I think the bottom line is that, that no one, no one really. Should get hosed in the equation because that's not good for longevity and no. and not to just put all the onus on the promoter because there's plenty of fighters who will look at that short term and go, uh, Oh, okay, well, some upstart promotion has uh, more money than they know what to do with, and they don't know what they're doing, so they're paying me three times what I'm really worth to fight. Yeah, there'll be plenty of people who'll take that fight, but they know full well they won't be fighting for him again because the promotion probably won't be in business you know, uh, for a second or a third fight. And uh, that what Affliction
2: the, did? Affliction, exactly. Yeah. Affliction paid. I think they, at the time, didn't they give Tim Sylvia like 300000 or something mm, when Tim yeah. Sylvia wasn't worth 300000 yeah. Uh, they went under, yeah. you know, and so the, again, it's kind of my analogy that I draw to going to gyms as a seminar. You don't want to make it to where the gym doesn't make any money. Hey, yeah. they got to make their money, and you want to be able to come back. You want to be able to come back. You want to yeah. have a thriving business. So it's kind of like anything where I'm like, well, I can't bleed the uh, them dry. Yeah. But again, at the same time, I don't want to show back up and all of a sudden I've been doing four seminars a year at your place and now you pull up in a G-Wagon because you're making, you know, 150 grand off of my name yeah. and I'm maybe making 5 grand. It's like, no, that's not right either. Who in their right mind would be okay with that? Yeah. No. Well, great point. All right, turning our attention to Chris Cyborg
1: Justino. She is supposed to fight on Saturday, Frank. She's supposed to fight in Brazil. On Friday, she needs to weigh 140. It so sounds like an SAT uh, math problem, you know, Real quick, it? too, before we go on yeah. to the next
2: one. My other point is the promotions need fighters, that it isn't just the promotion. Then if that was the case, then why does the UFC try to sign the best talent?
1: It, uh, if the UFC
2: was the show itself. If they could just use anybody. Just right? use anybody. If yeah. you could just grab 15 guys from the gym or 16 guys from the gym and just throw them in there, and people are going to go ahead and buy the pay-per-view. Yeah. Well, put on the best production. Guess what? Production value matters for shit if the fights are shit, if you don't have anybody out there. So once again, well then go ahead and let Bellator and World Series of Fighting have the best fighters. And you
1: know what? I think they've seen that on off seasons of The Ultimate Fighter as the show's progressed. You know, some seasons have been... Forgettable seasons, and right. I think that's happened when the talent pool has been particularly exactly. shallow. So it's yeah.
2: a, it definitely one hand washes the other. Yeah. You have to have a promotion that knows what they're doing and, and puts a product out there, but the product has to be worth – viewing and gain interest.
1: So Cyborg managed to weigh in at 140 pounds when she fought Leslie Smith at a UFC 198. That was her UFC debut. They uh, allowed that special catch weight fight because she's never been able to make 135 pounds, which uh, is otherwise the maximum weight limit for any woman that competes in the UFC. She's supposed to fight in Brazil on Saturday against Lena Landsberg, who is being signed by the promotion, uh, especially to fight her. I don't know anything about Lena Landsberg, and I don't think a lot of other people do either. But this is, again, supposed to be a 140-pound catchweight fight. But uh, as of right now, again, this is what she told uh, uh, Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour, that uh, she is 24 pounds overweight right now. She said, I fly from America to Brazil, or I flew from America to Brazil Five days ago, I weighed 168 pounds, and today I woke up at 165. Uh, last time out, she had a 12-week camp and entered uh, the fight week at 153. She said on the MMA hour, this time she's only had eight weeks to prepare and that she's on birth control, which has caused her to retain water wait, tell me if, uh, this makes sense, uh, to you, Frank. Uh, here's the quote in this camp, my nutrition coach, he starts giving to me birth control. I never take this in my life. And I take this three months every day. My coach says it will be good for me. I believe in him and man, I fly from America to Brazil, 168 pounds My body will hold more water than normal, and I don't think this will really help my body. Uh, Has a nutritionist ever put you on birth control? Have you ever ever heard that logic? You know what? What what uh, is that?
2: I feel like the the nutritionist is trying to uh, expose a loophole in the drug testing system. Uh, Birth control pills are also hormones. Uh Uh-huh. And so, possibly, there could be some kind of athletic advantage, because, as far as I could imagine, a woman would be getting birth control or any kind of prescription medication from her physician. Um, So, if this was an issue of her being sexually active, and then obviously a pregnancy could throw off the fight, that would be the reason to elicit, you know, to 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 administer uh, birth control. But trying to take birth control from a nutritionist. Why is that within his realm of expertise? Uh, That doesn't make sense to me. It seems like it's backfiring. Um, uh, That definitely uh, has uh, created more questions than answers. And on top of this, honestly, I mean, not just this situation, but in general, I think that it's unhealthy to keep trying to make her make 135. I Uh don't see a purpose for it. Uh, Invicta has a 145-pound weight class. I think the UFC, if they see a superstar in cyborg, then just let 's create the one hundred and forty five pound women 's class it 's not like it 's not eventually going to come about let 's just start now women 's fighting is on the rise there 's more women competing um, you know let 's have cyborg go ahead and just uh you know spearhead that movement
1: well, if she 's telegraphing her situation, which seems to be that on Friday she 's going to have a uh, difficulty making one hundred and forty pounds. Uh, and now she has to
2: rehydrate with no IV.
1: Yeah, and that this fight is uh, maybe going to have to, you know, take place at a at a higher weight limit. I think the UFC still has designs on maybe being able to make Cyborg versus Ronda Rousey if Ronda comes back. And here's the thing: if Ronda comes back, you could let her fight above 135 pounds. I know for all this time. That was never even a consideration, but all, all this time, Rhonda had been undefeated. I mean, a lot of that changed after she was defeated by Holly Holm. And now not coming back after all this time, it does provide some cover for Rhonda if she were to ever take the Cyborg fight at a weight above 135 pounds, let's say she loses. Mm-hmm. I don't think it does as much damage no. to her I mean, being look, able to say, hey, I fought. Connor got
2: choked out at a higher weight class, and it still yeah. you know, didn't really seem to dent his popularity at all.
1: Just say, you know, I fought too heavy. You know, I, I yeah. went up and, uh, Better and fought Better than trying my to have this
2: fight. girl kill herself to make you know the, the lower weight class. It's like, look, it's obvious. I mean, it's not like we're looking at Cyborg and – you know, like uh, 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 Kelvin, right? Gustavum. Kelvin Gestelman. Mm-hmm. I see why when Dana looks at him going, hey, buddy, <laughs> you could make welterweight. Yeah. You have a guy who is soft, you yeah. know, his physique, you genetics, eating habits, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, I understand. You stare and look at the guy. He's not shredded and telling you that he can't make the weight class. He's a bit of a fat boy, right? Yeah. And so, but that can't really be the same uh, thought process I, I've sat and seen uh, Cyborg in person, even when she's off season and not fighting. When she weighs 185 pounds, she still has a six pack. Yeah. She's shredded. She's huge, muscular. She's just a big human being. You know, um, she's not tiny. I mean, her her bone structure. Look at her forehead, her hands. She's yeah. thick. She's not a petite woman. Yeah, to, by any uh, 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 you know imagination. Uh, so. <laughs> I don't know. I think that you know, having her forced to make 140, we see how you know uh, this is going to be difficult. Just have her fight at 145.
1: Well, yeah, because you know, like you said, Inv- Invicta has 145 pound weight class. Cyborg had headlined plenty of cards over there. I mean, oh. she's, In fact, I think she's still their featherweight champion. I don't think they've stripped her of that title. And the thing is, is that the UFC at 140. Is bringing in people to fight, you know, girls to fight her that are not already in the organization. So if you're going to do that at 140, you may as well do it at 145. Yeah, I mean, and just start they, bringing they those featherweights over. They already have superstar. Yeah. She sells tickets, and she sells tickets fighting whoever. I mean, people, right. people are they already wanting have the formula see, set
2: up. Yeah, they're wanting to see the cyborg destruction. It's yeah, they want to see her just dismantle some right. poor young girl that gets in there with her and get just thrown around. Right. I say just do it. I mean, just have the 45 pound have her fight. There should be healthy, be strong, better than having her go out there and be a, a you know a ghost of herself you know a a shell of who her capabilities are because she 's so dehydrated, malnutritioned, sucked up, and then you have somebody who you can 't market and who 's not very good mm-hmm. possibly get a victory over her, and now you 're stuck with that your your, your workhorse you know uh, took a loss, and the person that beat them you can 't even really market them at all because They beat somebody who wasn't supposed to be in that weight class because they sucked down so much weight. And, yes, they made it by stepping on the scale, but technically their performance was horrendous. I mean, if you were to force John Jones and he just sacrificed everything to make 185, to make 186, is it possible? Possibly. You know, he could cut another uh, 19 pounds from 205. Mm -hmm. Would he perform that well? You know, even if we told him to make a catch weight of one ninety five, yeah, John probably could make it. You know, he could fight it. You know, force himself down that low. What would he look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a uh,
1: that's a weird thing about the birth control. I'm not exactly sure what what that was uh, what that was all about. But you say it could provide an advantage. I well, if-
2: and I've heard of one time of uh, <laughs> one of the things I was reading about. You know, something they were doing overseas uh, for some of the female athletes. Uh-huh. Or that they were purposely getting pregnant at a certain time out from their competition uh-huh. and then uh, obviously not going through with the baby, but because of the uh, hormones that their body would elicit and produce during the first you know, couple weeks of uh, pregnancy was giving them an athletic advantage. Wow. Boy, that's a complicated plan. Oh, come on. If there's money behind it, people are going to try to figure out a way, right? If you have incentive, you're going to have yeah. innovation
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah i suppose so well i don't know maybe i ought to try i wonder if jennifer would notice her birth control pills missing around <laughs> naga time <laughs> if you start
2: crying and you tell me your nipples are sore i'll know what happened ah <laughs> uh,
1: well uh also uh before we uh wrap up here just uh we'll we'll touch on the results from this uh past weekend we had dustin poirier on the show, uh, which, which, by the way, may be quietly one of our uh, most uh, uh, star-studded shows because if you didn't catch our last episode, not only did we have uh, Dustin Poirier on, but we had our first-ever Academy Award winner. I taped a visit with uh, Billy Bob Thornton, so that's on there. I was, I was at Disneyland, and Frank was doing a seminar in Oklahoma, so we, it was kind of a, a, a patchwork episode that we put together if you uh missed the last one but if you want to go back and tune in it's uh it'll be worth your while uh unfortunately Dustin Poirier uh comes up short Michael Johnson makes quick work of him knocks him out in just a minute and 35 seconds Dustin Poirier not a real easy guy to finish and uh yeah you may have seen Michael Johnson gotten himself in a little bit of trouble after that fight decided to stand over Dustin Poirier while he was Ah. unconscious and uh and tell him uh, f you, and uh, ended up having to apologize for that. So
2: yeah, I didn't understand where that came from. Uh, I guess I, I didn't follow the lead up as well as some other people, but uh.
1: I don't think there was anything. Re- I mean, you know, there was there was a little John at the weigh in and stuff like that, but nothing that I thought was particularly right. out of the ordinary. He didn't and tell I, me he was
2: going to go smack his wife
1: and make her no, take a mistake. <laughs> no, and I even I even uh, asked Dustin in the interview if he felt any sense of rivalry between. American Top Team, where he trains, and the Black Zillions, where Michael Johnson trains, because you know they do have a big rivalry there. But Dustin said no. He's like, yeah, I came to ATT after that whole split happened, and I'm aware of it, and you know I'm I have pride in my camp, but no, I don't feel some deep rooted uh, rivalry there. So I don't I don't know what that was about. Uh, I know Michael Johnson uh, is, is, is pretty damn loyal to Black Zillions, but I don't know if it was spilling over into his feelings about Dustin Poirier or not. And then uh, Derek Brunson uh, knocked out Uriah Hall in almost the same exact amount of time, one minute and 41 seconds. So yeah, I was of, shocked about that too. A couple of real quick nights. Derek Brunson quietly, very quiet, uh, is uh, yeah, is is ascending the ranks of uh, the UFC. So uh, you'll be seeing more of him. All right, uh, I gotta I gotta ask you uh, before we uh, wrap up here. Uh, I'm gonna ask you about your trip to Tulsa, but it's really just because I want to talk about my trip to Disneyland because I know you are a Disneyland veteran. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I I just have thoughts I want to share on that because I made my first trip to Disneyland this weekend. My girlfriend surprised me with a trip there for my birthday. So tell me, uh, Frank, how uh, how Tulsa went with the seminars and the uh, and the uh, fight card. You attended. What were you doing out there?
2: Yeah, I went out there and, and did the, uh, an appearance for the seminars. It was a great seminar. We ran a little late, and so there was probably some husbands and wives that might have gotten in trouble with their significant others because uh, it started at six and it was supposed to end like at eight. And I think I went until about nine thirty. Well, now Frank Mir giving you a little bonus time. Uh, well, nothing I mean, wrong with when that. You're doing something you love, you yeah. you, know, you, you kind of you know get carried away with it. I guess it's hard yeah. it, keep track of time. Uh, then on top of that, then the next day I got to go witness some fights and. Uh, uh, some pretty spect- I got to see a guy get knocked out with a spinning hook kick, so the fights were uh, pretty rewarding. Uh, there was some, uh, you know, it's not like it was when I first started where you get the low level fights that, you know, it's kind of like, oh man, this is horrible. Mm-hmm. You, there's a lot of talent, a lot of ability right now at, at, at the shows, at local shows around that, if you're a fan of mixed martial arts, you don't have to wait for a UFC or Bellator or World Series of Fighting type scenario to show up in your town. A lot of these shows really do have a great amount of talent and uh, extremely exciting to watch.
1: So, and I know you'll be uh, you'll be out on the road uh, a couple of more times uh, between now and the end of the year. So we'll oh, keep everybody posted on the day. reminds me. Is that
2: the next night when we have some time to have a call in? Uh, Ray Martinez, their a ring announcer. We had to drive from Tulsa out to the uh, Grant, uh-huh. Oklahoma, which was like five miles north or six miles north of uh, of Texas state line. Yep. And so we're Indian reservation uh, and. Uh, we were bringing up comic book facts and we were talking about how much I disliked the Batman versus Superman story. And he had a very good explanation of some of the, uh, reasonings of what was occurring in that movie. Oh, so I was like, see. Oh buddy, I got, so I got his number. So, okay. uh, the next time we have some free time on the show, he's going to call in and, uh, and give his, uh, you know, uh, his take on it, which I found really enlightening. I was okay. like, I was very happy. I was like, all right, you know what? It was one of those things at the end. I'm like, i 'm sold, okay, I, that helped me a little bit i 'm glad that you know
1: well i 'm interested in some comic book talk uh one because I, I I know you 're a, a fan and you got a wealth of knowledge there, but also tying into my Disney trip, I realized when I was at Disney that Disney has bought Marvel. I knew they had bought uh Star Wars, the whole lucas uh, yeah. film operation i didn 't realize the thing about uh Marvel, but the Marvel stuff was everywhere. And uh, Jennifer actually was explaining to me a lot about how the Marvel fans aren't too sure about this just yet because they're afraid that maybe the Disney influence will kind of water down some of the the darker edges around the Marvel characters and things like that. But Disney was like, so it was it was Disneyland. They have this California Adventure Park right next door to it, which is a whole nother park. We yeah. got. We got the two-day Park Hopper Pass. Here's how the whole thing went down. I did not know that I was going to Disneyland. I no. just – I knew we were going – you knew about this, right? No, did I didn't. You go- oh, you didn't know? No, okay. no.
2: Well, maybe Jen knew.
1: I think she knew. I maybe think you might have knew. known and forgot maybe that No, happened. because
2: I remember that uh – when I had to fly out, my flight was at six a.m. on Thursday, right? And I told you because remember we didn't tape Wednesday night, yes. So it was getting about nine o'clock, and you were supposed to be here, and I was late at Cage's game, yeah. And it ran till about nine fifteen, and you know, first we were going to meet at eight. Then I, you know, as the game's going on, I'm like well, shit, I want to see him get up to bat one more time. So I I text you, like, can we make it 8.30? Then at 8.40, you know, he's about two batters behind getting another at bat, and I'm like, oh, I'm not leaving. Or, hey, can we 9 o'clock? And then by the time it was 9.05, I'm like, I still got to pack, and I'm waking up at 3.30 in the morning. Uh, Instead of us just dialing this in and me just kind of, you know, walking through the motions of doing the show. Let me go ahead and can can I call you? Yeah. And that's when you told me. I'm like, well, I'll have to be on the road at like 5 in the morning. Yes. That's why I even called you really early. I think it was like 5.30 when I was was already boarded on the plane. I gave you a quick call and text. I was going to give you times on when I landed to talk to you about something. I forgot now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what we were doing. I just knew that we were going to be out of town for a couple of days. And I got home uh, Wednesday night, and I opened up a present – which was a T-shirt of Mickey Mouse's face with the ears and everything, but where his face should be was a pentagram. And she produced a matching T-shirt and said, we're going to Disneyland. And uh, about two hours later, we were in the car driving to uh, Anaheim. And we got the two-day Park Hopper Pass, which meant we could go back and forth from California Adventure to Disney, and uh, we had two full days at the park. And I'm telling you, this thing, I, I mean, I'd never been before. And, uh, you know, I mean, I like amusement parks. So, you know, I go in an amusement park. Okay, that sounds like a lot of fun. But by about three quarters of the first day, you've totally bought into the Disney. Like, you've totally, <laughs> you get it. Like, it's just everything is like. It's hard to explain. It's it like it's reality. a yeah. It's
2: like I, I tell people they're like you know you really love going to Disneyland I'm like oh yeah, I take the kids there we spend all day there and then more often than not uh, my wife and I we take the kids back up to the hotel room we have somebody with us you know the nanny uh-huh. know, or one of our you know friends if you know someone's else with us to help watch the kids. My wife and I will sneak back into the uh, you know, park, you know, at nine oh, o'clock yeah. and go and, and, and do things by ourselves. Yeah. And just walking down Main Street, I, I feel like, you know, that feeling that it gives me is the same as when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, on Christmas morning you came down to see presents and just that whole kind of magical feeling. Like yeah. it, it really does create that response in me still to this day.
1: It was and they get you so into this routine of like we got an we had downloaded an app to our phones and then they got these these uh fast pass things right. right so you can you can go and put your your it, there's a whole mathematical formula to it but it's basically like reserving a spot in line on the more popular rides so they get you in this routine of doing all that and then getting on the app and every time you get off one of those more popular rides they've taken a picture of you when the roller coaster was about to go downhill so there's a code and you type that code into your app and then that photo shows up on your phone which you can purchase for the convenient price of 30 Thirty nine ninety five at the conclusion of each day. They send you the whole portfolio of all the photos you've been a part of. Do you guys do that? Do yeah, we, do we actually ad? do the
2: photo pass.
1: That's what I'm talking about. That one. Yeah, so you, well, can carry, the, the you carry the card. Carry the card. What
2: it does also, too, I don't know if it, you knew this had enabled you. Did you ever see those people just kind of standing – the employees of the oh industry. yeah
1: we did photo shoots with them is that what you're talking yeah, about where and, they stop and take pictures yeah they'll of you? tell you like you know put we, your hands out we did that so you
2: put your hands out and it's because those are gonna superimpose yep. Tinkerbell
1: that's right we did all that uh, trust me we 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 bought everything
2: and that's the thing it's just like they get you in this
1: routine of like by, by the by the time we were leaving and this was like you know I think they were open till midnight on Friday night. And we were actually coming back Saturday because Billy Bob Thornton's bands gig was here in Vegas Saturday night. So we're going to make it back uh, to see him. But uh, Friday night, we're there at like midnight or whatever. And we're, you know, we're we're closing down the park. And, you know, Jennifer's like, oh, look at this. We need this frame. We need to get this frame to put that picture that they took. And then I'm like, it's like you're they've they've. It's like they've whipped you into this, just sort of. It's like a, a, a it's like a, a a retail intoxication or yeah. something. You know.
2: Try going through there with little kids. Oh
1: God, <laughs> I can only imagine what that's like.
2: And we went to a thing. We
1: went to a thing the last night at um, at California Adventure. They did this World of Color yeah. show. Have you seen this on oh, the yeah, water? Every time. Okay. I'm actually not
2: that happy with it right now. Okay. When I first started watching it years back, when it yeah. first started, I, I thought it was better. Oh. this. And then they revamp it every couple years. Oh, I see. This last one, I wasn't impressed with.
1: Oh, okay. Well, see, I don't have a frame of reference, yeah. so I was just impressed with whatever they were well, doing. I
2: wasn't as happy as I was in the past.
1: Yeah, but but there was even a point where before we were going over to the world of color, which takes place after dark, this big multi-visual display on the water. or something. Not yeah, a and we're walking over there, and Jennifer's like, Oh, these – and by the way, keep in mind, we're already wearing mouse ears, okay, that have our names on them, all right? So we've already got something on our head. And she's like, oh, I need these flashing, glow-in-the-dark, light-up mouse
2: ears. Well, because they coincide with the show. Right. So
1: she's getting those and she's like, you need something, and she's talking more and more like this the later into the night. We, neither one of us are drink, right? And so she's like, and then you need, you should probably have this. And and I almost ended up with like a, a lighted scepter in my hand before I'm like, why? Wait a minute, no, we're not getting that. I'm not, I don't need this. <laughs> Put this back on the cart. But they do that, and um, we had. Uh, 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 the 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 rides. Were, I tell you the one.
2: Well, now you can appreciate the paintings and stuff having the house. Yes,
1: yeah. I mean they had art yeah, galleries. That's what. Uh, that's All the what.
2: Kincaid stuff. That. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's what Jennifer was saying. She said that your Jennifer has. There's like a Disney shelf
2: somewhere uh-huh. in the house or something. Oh, no. <laughs> shelf. Oh. <laughs> Room, <laughs> oh man. yeah, yeah. I'll be fighting till I'm fifty. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be eventually.
1: You'll just be like, "Can you just pay me?" in Disney, uh, <laughs> right. gift I need to work out a sponsorship. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: they. Um, the, the, I'll tell you though. The the one thing that struck me. Was it, with all of the the Marvel tie-in and the the Luca stuff because they have all the Star Wars themes and all that they 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 seem to want to have everything has to have like a character tie-in to Star Wars characters or Marvel or whatever and they have this ride there the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror right have you done this yeah
2: one? okay Ronan was one of the youngest kids probably ever to do that I got really? him on the, yeah because. Oh, well, now I don't have to, I can disclose some of my, uh, secrets, but yeah. they have a height restriction on some of the rides. Yeah. So what I used to do is I would double up my son's socks and put them under his shoes inside. Oh. So that would give him another inch or so of height. And so, you know, he's tall for his age already to begin with. Yeah. And then I went ahead and fudged the, uh, Oh, uh, I see. Height requirement, you know, extra thick shoes. Yeah. I had him like these Harley Davidson kind of like, you know, like for kids. So they're like boots.
1: He's walking around in like Paul Stanley kiss boots. Basically,
2: that's <laughs> what I kind of tried to do. I even one time at first, like the first year, you know, when he was almost, you know, he was still like two inches away. Yeah. I debated manufacturing some kind of like lift platform. <laughs> and so I think Ronan might have been three and we have yeah. a picture of him and we were all on the ride together.
1: Wow, well, that's pretty impressive. He had the nerve to do it. Oh, he's, a lot of, yeah,
2: no, my kids are pretty fearless. A lot of
1: kids would be afraid of that. Well, here's the thing, though. They're, you know, they're changing the theme to the Tower of Terror. Did you know about this? No. It's starting at the beginning of the year. They're going to they're not, they're gonna keep the ride, but it's going to take on a Guardians of the Galaxy theme. So they're going to totally revamp it. Oh. Now, Jennifer and I were not excited about that news for this reason. We thought top to bottom... That that because what it is, it's like a haunted old hotel. It's yeah, like a guy, creepy you know, old hotel. It's a
2: Twilight Zone episode, but it is so well done. Yeah. I mean, you
1: feel like you are in a creepy old haunted hotel. Yeah, when you're and going through the
2: line and walking through, going a-
1: through the line. That's what I told her. I said, "Here's here's what they're doing. That's so genius." They're making the experience start when you get in line, not when you get on the ride. So what happens is you're in line. First of all, that makes it go fast. You don't feel like you're in line as long as you are because there's different things to look at. And you're already becoming immersed in the experience. So by the time you get on the ride itself, you've already bought into the idea that you're in this creepy old haunted hotel and all the rest of that. So I like the fact, I thought top to bottom, that ride had the most complete And the problem is they're changing it because no one under, you know, 40 or 50 maybe knows what the Twilight Zone is or was. And so they're trying to give it a newer, younger identity, which, by the way, is the only thing that I really complain about here in Vegas is that our town, uh, our hometown, that we don't hang on to our history. You know, that that it's always blowing something up to build the next bigger, better thing, and you've heard stories about Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack playing here, but you can't go to the – you know the sands or wherever no. they played to see what it was like anymore. So I kind of miss that 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 part of it. Well, always I don't understand why hold on they're going to do
2: that because not only does having someone when they're standing in line, you know, they do it like you know with the Indiana Jones ride as you're walking down. There's different yes. things to look at. Yes, I mean, yes. A lot of the rides do that. Um, you know, uh, as you're walking, there's memorabilia and uh, yeah. you know, interesting things to read and look at. But if you're into the retail aspect of uh, the. the uh, what better time when you have someone's attention yeah. to try to, uh, you know, it's like, you know, one thing is that we're watching a show, you put a commercial on because you're hoping that you have an audience that's watching. Well, <laughs> you have a bunch of people standing in line for an hour and a half. You have an audience that's captivated. They yeah. have no choice. So, it, uh, perfect opportunity to, uh, put things up. But yeah, that is kind of sad. I kind of, I really dug the whole, uh, Twilight theme.
1: Yeah. I thought, I thought top to bottom, it was the most complete theme of any of the rides. That we went on. And uh, they got us. We're hooked because now we're already planning. The, when can we go back? Uh, When's the next trip back? In fact,
2: the lines and stuff are so interesting that uh, when I go to Disneyland with the kids, uh, we have a tour guide.
1: Oh, you've done that?
2: Okay. Yeah, my kids have never stood the line.
1: <laughs> now I hear, you know, I've heard Adam Carolla talk about doing that with the yeah. tour guide. Yeah, I hear it's, uh, it's very beneficial and extremely pricey.
2: Yeah, um, but, uh, and you walk your ass off. You'd be surprised because there's times I look forward to a line because I Uh can just stand still for a few minutes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it takes us about 10 minutes to get through every, you know, every ride. So you imagine, I mean, it takes us four or five hours and we've done everything you could possibly do in one. Wow. But that being the case, there's times where, uh, I've purposely taken the kids through the line. Yeah. Uh, on rides they've been on all the time so they at least can experience it from the other side. Mm. It's like, oh wow, there's this, there's that. There's Is that a-
1: like when you take the long way home and purposely drive through the ghetto so they appreciate? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, It's funny, one time uh, Bella and Jennifer were at a softball tournament and we didn't, they uh, decided to go to Disneyland. I wasn't with them. Uh-huh. I was uh, doing something seminar and uh, so uh they went ahead and just, you know, bought a pass and, Bella stood in line. They had to do it the normal way. (laughs) So I got a call from my wife, and I was like, so, Bella, you appreciate that, huh? She's like, Father, we were among the unwashed. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it's different for a kid that's never stood in line to now stand in line for, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half.
1: Now, I have heard Adam Carolla tell these stories about getting the tour guide, because he does the same thing with his wife. It's funny to hear him tell the story, because he always has, like, the working man's mentality So he's doing the math in his head, like how much is this costing us? And every time they want to like stop and have a hot dog or something, he's like, "Let's eat and walk. We're going to eat and walk at the same time. We're going to keep this going."
2: No, you don't want to stay around and bullshit. Uh, Yeah. In fact, we'll schedule our meals and stuff around that for that reason. Because once you start the guide tour. Uh, you decide to stop and eat lunch for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> you paid uh, a...
1: Like, uh, it's like the brothel. You want to go to the bar for drinks, you're still on the
2: clock. Right, right? so you might as well drink before you get there, you know? <laughs> so that's what we do is we uh, schedule our tour for, uh, you know, uh, like, say, 11 o'clock. Uh-huh. So that way I know that we've already eaten breakfast. Yeah. You know, we got a good meal in us. And then, you know, lunch can be a quick snack as uh-huh. we're going, just grabbing stuff. And then, you know, it's a, uh, I think it's an eight-hour minimum or six-hour minimum. All
1: right. Now, for people who don't know, well, you say tour guide, what, is, what does this mean? mean tell everybody how this works at disney
2: well you have a tour guide and um uh, anybody can actually purchase a guide, and they take you through all the fast pass lanes and uh so
1: but basically what that means is you can walk up to any ride and there's there's essentially going to be no wait if you do fast pass you're on a ride within five minutes probably
2: and then i do the tour guide but since i get stopped a lot at uh disney Uh, my tour guide gets a, an additional pass that anybody who's recognizable is entitled to, because they don't want to cause problems at the sh- you know at the uh, uh, the uh, park. Because mm-hmm. uh, you have a situation to where you know, say Adam Carolla standing in line, even yeah. if it's only for fifteen minutes, someone takes a picture of him. They post it on their social media. Now everybody knows that Adam Carolla is there. And then, you know, more, you know, more and more people keep okay. walking up to him and it causes, it interferes with his experience to have fun yeah. with his kids and his family. Not that he doesn't want to take yeah, pictures. Yeah, right, right, right. But it's like, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I paid to be here to see the rides, not to y- sure. know, to, to do a photo op. And so um, I get to walk up to the exit of all lines. Basically, like where you see the people who go in wheelchairs. Yeah. I pass them up. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, the wheelchair person could wait. <laughs> yeah, I get some weird looks sometimes. I gotta be honest with you, there's times I get in the ride and I see people that have been waiting there for a long time and I feel awkward. And I'll get on the ride and I can see the stare of just like, who the fuck is I'm like, eyes forward, kids, eyes forward. <laughs> just- <laughs>
1: So there's, so you're telling me like there's some paraplegic waiting in line, and all of a sudden he hears the beep, 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 where his wheelchair's backing up. Yep. It's like, what's going on? They're like, hold on, Frank Mir's
2: coming through. Yeah. We'll get to you in a now, second. Now The only justice I feel in that situation oh. is that about 90% of the people that are in that line that have some kind of medical... Uh, issue going on yeah it's completely bullshit they just are trying to play the system they'll go up to the park and, i've heard that's a oh, scandal they, huge because because disney doesn't want to pay to have a nurse on staff a medical personnel yeah. to overlook people's claims so you could have done it this weekend with jen but i know that i never even offered that to you because that's not your personality you could have walked up and said that i have pins in my lower back and if i stand for too long i get seizures yeah the person signs you the pass. That's it. You're in. They can't dispute your medical claim. Yeah. So now you get to go ahead and go to the exit of all the lines and stand there and wait. And on top of that, the people that pay $390 an hour to have that tour guide, yeah. they're behind you. Yeah. Right. They don't get to pass you. Right. I get to pass you. Adam right. Crowley gets to pass you right. because my tour guide has that additional yeah. celebrity status. Yeah. But a normal businessman, let's say, you know, uh, just someone rich, you yeah. know, some guy whoever owns Carl's Jr. franchise, you know, who's well off money wise, he doesn't get to. He still has to pay $400 essentially an hour yeah. to wait behind somebody who's making a fraudulent claim.
1: Yeah. Wow. And so, uh, wow and we saw people that that bugs me so when I walk by
2: if I see those people that and I've probably been wrong yeah but I'll take the chances. When I see those people, like I see the young girl, sixteen-year-old sitting in a rented wheelchair, yeah, you know, with her ankle wrapped in an ace bandage, I will like look at her. and I'm just like, oh, excuse me, no, no, you need to move to the side. Yeah, and then okay. I, I make it very obvious that you're getting out of my way.
1: Okay, but what about when you walk past? Like, I saw a guy. We were on. Oh, well, if the... you see
2: the people with the chair, like, th- there's an obvious detail, yeah, you know, or a difference between you're like, okay, that guy has problems. You know what yeah, I mean? I was gonna
1: say we were on like the no, Pirates of I've the Caribbean, actually, uh, right? I, and they had to wait. For the special boat to come around right. that would accommodate. No, and I this actually tell
2: my tour guy we around. wait for that. If I see a situation where it's somebody who's, you know, you just look over and they're obviously handicapped. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I don't push my weight around. But when yeah. I, like I said, that when I see the the the, the group of teenagers that are just yeah. playing the the, uh, the the loophole, right? Then yeah, I make them suffer. Well, I'll even then at that point, I'll go twice. Oh, 'Cause I'll dude. go on the ride and if I can sit there and figure out a way to make sure that they have to wait again, yeah. I do this little like with your
1: hand. You, know, uh, uh, again. you give them the one more time around. Yeah, with and your I don't need get off
2: the ride. I get to go again. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wait a minute.
1: Can you do that? Uh, so so what you're you're on a ride and you're telling me that like with a you have like the ability to wave the king's hand. Yeah, but you'll like, go ahead of time. We'll, we'll go ahead. again. We'll
2: go again. You know, so we'll have rides, one more no, pass around. Sometimes the park. if it's busy, yeah. they don't you know, I'll have to get off the ride and, and wait and then circle back around you know I mean, or stand there, let one group go and then we get back on. <clears throat> All
1: right, so does the Okay, I know you can buy the tour guide okay, so you buy the tour guide. So if, if you didn't know what we mean by the fast pass that fast pass – in and of itself doesn't cost anything, but you're limited by how many you can have checked out at one time. It's more or less one per. You can kind of only have one fast pass uh, per at a time, and then you use that when you get another one. Is more or less how the math works out if you're the average person going to the park. Now, if you do the tour guide, which would you say is roughly 400 bucks an hour, or yeah, something it's like that. And they're going to hit you for what a six hour minimum, something Correct. like that. So that's twenty five hundred bucks, right about twenty four, twenty five. Okay, so that's. And you only allowed ten people in your party. Ten at most. Yep. for the tour guide. because yeah, okay.
2: I've sometimes brought more family and friends with me.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we we've got to buy an additional uh, tour guide. I was going to say we're just a so party that of hour doubles. Yeah, I was going to say we're just a party of two, uh, Jennifer. No, and me. we you guys not come with us. There's only six, my, you know, we, five. We don't take up much space. No, so yeah. so okay. So you guys do that. Okay, so so there's your tour guide that you pay for. Now, does the celebrity pass cost anything no. extra?
2: Okay, so basically, it's a thing thing of a convenience because if I'm going to pay four hundred dollars an hour, yeah, I, get I don't want to stop and sign autographs. Right,
1: right. No, I get that. Now, let me uh, and I've
2: caused commotions. I remember yeah. I, how I found out about the whole uh, tour guide situation was. Yeah. Not, it's not like someone tells you, yeah. I didn't fucking know. So yeah. I went there. It's like the
1: secret menu at in and out yeah. You got to know.
2: Right? And so we're there and we're by Magic Mountain or excuse me, by the the, the Fantasyland entrance right yeah. there. Yeah. And uh, a couple of people recognized me. I stopped, took a picture, a couple more people. Before you knew it, I got a decent crowd surrounding yeah. me. You know, no, no, one more, one more, one right, more, right. you know, going yeah. on for about 15, 20 minutes. Well, security comes over and like, dude, you're, you're, you're causing a, a stop in the traffic. And I'm like, yeah what do you want me to do yeah. like you know like these I, people love me or what? you know do i tell people just i mean like i looked at them, like do i i, I mean it's not in my personality to right. tell people to fuck off i'm yeah. sorry like yeah. you know like you know i'll go over here and there and they're like well no you need a tour guide what are you doing i'm all what's that and then at first i was oh. angry because they're like look you're creating a problem in this yeah. in, the, in the in the park um you have to pay to have this tour guide i'm like yeah well, that fucking sucks. Yeah. And then when I got to find out the privileges of having the tour mm-hmm. guide, I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, that kind of took the sting off it, but still kind of sucks. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So so basically, that's just something that you ask for and they assign to you for convenience, the celebrity upgrade. But now I wonder this. <clears throat> okay. They don't have the nurse on staff to approve or deny the medical claims, but do they have a pop culture aficionado I don't who know. reviews your celebrity claim?
2: I think it kind of goes on a case-by-case scenario. Yeah, I think that if you don't cause a commotion, mm-hmm. they don't really – they're like, no, you'll be fine.
1: I see. You have to get on the commotion list. Now, I wonder then – okay, so let's say this.
2: And so, thankfully, MMA is pretty popular. Yeah. And Southern California is kind of the mecca no, yeah, so that's true. That's I true. I've never one time walking into Disneyland. I mean, I could put a stopwatch on. I'm like, okay, right. every 30 seconds, someone's going to recognize me. Right.
1: But see, I wonder if somebody can just be like, uh, excuse me, I just got uh, cast on a daytime soap opera. And see, I don't like, know. I don't no know thing. how that works. No, no. Uh, Especially nice since try, mine
2: started off with yeah. this guy
1: already caused a commotion. Right, right. So you passed the commotion test. So I wonder if you can put in a fame claim and have it denied. And then the next thing I wonder is – I wonder Downgraded. if you are. Yes, I wonder if you're. <laughs> I wondered that. I like wondered if that. Like they look at it and they go, "Well, you know, uh, uh, 2012, Frank Mir, sure, but 2019." Uh,
2: True. You so know, we got to make sure this podcast stays popular. Yeah.
1: I wonder if you have to like reapply for the commotion test. Like they send you out and they see, well, let's give you 10 minutes on your own. Let's see what happens. We'll watch on the security yeah. cameras.
2: Well, thankfully enough that I've accomplished enough <laughs> that I'm probably going to be kind of uh, just like Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture haven't fought for several years. Yeah. yeah. And they still, you know, Chuck Liddell gets the same, uh, 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 situation yeah in fact that's what i found out they're like well chuck liddell knows about this i'm like well, he's an asshole. He didn't tell me. I don't know. I mean, like, what do you want to tell you? you know? Like, Plus, well, Chuck knew, no. You know, like, you know, Randy comes here. He knows. I'm all well. They didn't pass on that information yeah. to me. Plus, they
1: probably pull up like your your annual expenditures at Disneyland, and they're like, oh, we can keep this. guy Yeah, happy. Mrs. Mayor yeah. is actually gonna.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do very well by keeping me there.
1: Yeah, that's like the whale at the casino. We can afford to comp him a room. Don't worry. Uh, that's uh well. I guess if I ever do lose the right.
2: celebrity status, yeah. I just go ahead and just sit there and go, well, now I have dementia from pugilistic damage and uh, I need my little uh, (laughs) medical card. (laughs) That's the Twilight Zone episode. And now I can save $400 an hour.
1: (laughs) No, 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 no. Wait, that's, you know what? I mean, you talk about the, we're talking about the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. That's your Twilight Zone episode plot where the celebrity. If I were to write that episode, I would make you the slow, but I'd make you like a real asshole, like not like you're talking about being like like, you know somebody who just you know out of my way, sickly you know crippled people. And but what happens is because of your dementia, you eventually become the person Ah. in the boat in the in the wheelchair having to blow through the straw, and then you get cast aside by Ah. the next big thing. Oh, that'd be good. We should pitch that. To I like somebody. it. I'm in. You give me the chills. It's too bad Rod Ster- Rod uh, Serling isn't still making television or breathing for that matter. Okay, well, speaking of that, uh, we have managed to damn near hit the three hour mark, Frank. This is like a Bruce Springsteen live show all of a sudden. One of our longer episodes, but our last three hour uh, episode met with rave reviews from our hardcore fans. So I'm hoping they'll appreciate uh, this one as well. I mean, this one had something for everybody. Would we? Can you even remember to three hours ago? We, well, we started start out with, impromptu history lesson.
2: Yeah, because political
1: went to politics, politics, presidential politics, conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories. Then we talked some uh, legal prostitution. Yeah. Then we talked uh, fights. Yeah, we talked some fight news, and then we closed it out with vacation talk, Disney. That's like six different topics.
2: Yeah, and within that, I kept asking questions that kept going off on different tangents. That's
1: right. That's what we do here on Phone Booth Fighting. All right. Well, uh, as I said, it's going to be a tough one to follow, but on Friday's episode, we've got the return of the American gangster Chael P. Sonnen uh, joining us, one of our most popular guests, show in and show out, and he's got big news because he's now a Bellator fighter. He'll be talking to us about that as well as the state of his very popular twice a week podcast, You're Welcome, with Chael Sonnen. Uh, All right, Frank, uh, you can follow you on social media, Twitter and Instagram at the Frank Mir. Facebook is official Frank Mir. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Richard Hunter. Facebook is official Richard Hunter. You can get your Phone Booth Fighting t-shirts at phoneboothfightingshop.com. That's phoneboothfightingshop.com. Uh, our logo T-shirts are available in a couple of different colors. And uh, very soon, we got a new style going up there as well. And once again, for all you fund anything, folks, uh, posters are getting signed uh, day after tomorrow. And I need a the shirt packages. for Uncle Eddie,
2: too, before he comes in this next weekend. Oh, he's coming next weekend. Yeah. Frank, we'll load him down. I think I've already with, asked uh, you, but I kept forgetting to. But yep. So now it's on the show. Okay. It's official that I asked you.
1: So. Very good. Very good. We'll hook him up uh, when he's in town next weekend. Uh, and as Uncle Eddie always says, Frank, I'll quote him here directly, Uh, He knows that the best thing anybody can do for us, uh, apart from going on the iTunes page, clicking on that five-star rating, which we appreciate, writing a favorable line or two uh, in the way of a review, which is even more appreciated, the absolute best thing you can do for us is to tell a friend. Tell a friend about phone booth fighting, and that is how we're going to grow the show. Close it out, Frank, and tell everybody how to find the show on social media.
2: Well, the social medias uh, are facebook is phone booth fighting and same with instagram and you can follow us on twitter and uh, snapchat with phone booth fight
1: that's what i'm talking about is great anybody, job has
2: anybody written in that i can get that down now
1: no oh, they i think this time around they're gonna see they're gonna see that you oh, finally uh, the phone that time yeah no very <laughs> nicely done all right for uh frank Mir, i'm richard hunter this has been phone booth fighting we will see you on friday with Shell sunnan
0: everybody was comfy they fought with